I don't know if we're going to play any. Oh, yeah. I'm going to play audio. So I want to make sure that you guys can fucking hear bumpers and shit. So let me do that here real fucking quick. Coming through? Yep. Mm -hmm. Thank God. (laughs) I've got some shit. I got some audio clips uh, that I'm going to play. I think everybody's coming in okay, so we won't do a test record. We'll just get this fucking shit going. Cool. It is cool, Joe. It is cool. <laughs> it is. That is the fucking definition of fucking cool. <laughs> when when Fonzie was hitting those fucking jukeboxes, this is what he was talking about, Joe. <laughs> a. Mm-hmm. Was that Fonzie that did A? A. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Fonzie. Yeah. Who is it? Potsy and Pig Fart. Who are the two? Pig Fart. <laughs> Potsy. <laughs> it was Potsy. Chachi? No, that, that was Joni and Chachi. They yeah. ended up having a spinoff show in Final I'm Potsy and his fucking other, the gingerhead kid and the fucking other dude. Potsy and Poontang. Who the I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch enough of the show. I remember who Fozzie, Fonzie was just because that's. You That's almost said Fozzy. You went full Waka Waka there, didn't you? Fozzy. <laughs> waka 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 Waka. <laughs> All right. Patsy and oh, Ron Howard. No, he was he was the he was the main one. He was uh, uh, R- Richie Cunningham. Yeah. Thanks, Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 441. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Leftovers. And we uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Hey, it's Greg Sestero. You're listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Check out The Room and my new horror film, Miracle Valley. What a story. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the, the leftovers. leftovers. And if there was ever a week I didn't want to fucking do this show, it's this week, Jake. Yeah, it's been a great episode. I we'll see you guys next week. Oh my god. I wish I could fucking end it. Jesus fucking Christ, anyway. Oh we got here. <laughs> we'll make it through. I don't know. Chins, got, up, chins up. Yeah. I, listen, everybody. Give me a break. I I've had a shit fucking week, and on top of that, I've got stomach issues now. Like literally right before we recorded. It's like, oh my God, you gotta be fucking kidding me. We we're supposed to start like 40 fucking minutes ago. Anyway, whatever. Just, you're gonna, you know what? My ex wife had to put up with my fucking ass for five fucking years. You're gonna have to put up with me for the next two and a half to three hours. <laughs> if there was ever an episode for two times speed, this might be the one. This might be the one. This might be the one. We're not alone, Jake. Oh, God. 
Ah, I feel like shit. Ah, fuck. Thankfully, we have a guest to save us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Let's bring him on. Save us. Joe Stark. Welcome, Joe. Save us from this episode. (laughs) Stoked to be here. Uh, Sorry to hear you're not feeling the best, though, dude. That's always rough doing anything with a stomachache. It it inherently makes things worse when it comes into the equation of, can I trust this fart? (laughs) Maybe not. Well, here's the thing. It was like before even the stomach issue, it was like... uh, Fuck everything. I fucking hate everything this fucking week. Everything sucks. And then it's like, oh, I'm, and so I'm like, I'm not really excited to record this week. And then on top of that, it's like, oh, guess what? Now your stomach's fucked, asshole. Now your stomach's fucked. And so it's like, just pile on, pile on. What's next? What's next? Cancer? <laughs> during the diagnosis? During yeah, the I get a fucking phone call. <laughs> get a fucking phone call. You know, <laughs> I would just call it, Jake. At that point, the episode's over with. Yeah, I, I would say so. I would say so. <laughs> no, that'd be fucked up if I just record the entire episode with you guys and everything, and I'm just breaking down the entire time. <laughs> so this week, Todd McFarland, six months, Jake. I got six months. Yeah, it's going to make that Midnight Club review very interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I uh, – fuck, I might not even make it to Midnight, Jake. Uh. <laughs> anyway. Welcome, Joe. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Really, of all the episodes for Joe to be on, I bet he's thankful to be on this one. <laughs> oh great i'm on the episode with brian's pmsing and he might have to get up and fucking his ass might explode thanks brian <laughs> thanks for the fucking invite thanksgiving came early for joe stark ah <laughs> <sighs> oh, jesus anyway god let's go over it. last week uh on the uh bonus episode i uh said we'd uh go over the Winners for last week's contests. I've got two contests here. Digital codes for the Infernal Machine is the first one. So let's go over our winners for the Infernal Machine. These are for digital codes. At least somebody will be happy this episode. People that won shit. Here we go. Monica Garola. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) And you're right. Monica Garola. Number two, Nicholas Santones. Number three, Ryan Bradshaw. Number four, Steven Chavez. And final winner, Alfredo Tostado. Here's your winners for the Infernal Machine. Who's the fourth one? I don't fucking know, Joe. <laughs> Was it Ryan Bradshaw? I don't. Who the Who's fuck the third knows? <laughs> Monica, Steven Chavez. Monica Garola. Monica Garola, Nicholas Santones, Ryan Bradshaw, Steven Chavez, Alfredo Tostado. Those are the big fucking winners for the Infernal Machine. Got them. Enjoy your digital. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, physical copies. I got physical copies. If you've turned off the episode, yes, you've spared yourself from this one. I'm going to be a cunt this entire episode. If they turn the episode off, though, they won't have heard that. Fuck you, Jake. <laughs> Hopefully they turned it back on and heard that shit. Anyway, 
Let's see here. If they turned it off, they hadn't heard that. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Mayor of Kingstown, physical copies. First winner is William Dixon. Well, if William Dixon turned it off, he didn't hear his name, Brian. <laughs> Se- second winner is Connor Petrie. Number three, Eric Marable. Number four, Monica fucking Garola. <laughs> And number five, David Forrest. There's your five winners for the physical copies of Mayor of, Mayor of Kingstown. I'll be reaching out to the winners and asking them for their addresses so we can send you the Blu-ray copies with all the bonus features. We've got a new contest this week that I'd like to go over for our listeners, and this is for digital copies of the new movie... Easter Sunday. Home is where the crazy is in stand-up com. What is the... I can't read that. That makes no sense. The sentence makes us... Home is where the crazy is. Oh, okay. Here we go. That's how you say that. Let me start this over. That's a weird sentence. Home is where the crazy is in stand-up comedy sensation Joe Coy's cinematic debut, Easter Sunday. The hilarious and heartfelt comedy co-stars Jimmy O. Yang, Tia Carrere, and Tiffany Haddish, and is yours to own with never-before-seen extras, including hilarious deleted scenes and a gag reel. Own it on digital today, on Blu-ray, October 18th, rated PG-13, from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment, and I've got five digital copies of uh, Easter Sunday. We'll go over those winners next week. In order... To get entered into the contest, I'm going to send out an Easter Sunday tweet and an Easter Sunday Facebook post. All you need to do is retweet it or share it on Facebook, screenshot that you did, and then send me the proof to contest at popcultureleftovers.com, and you'll be entered into the contest to win one of five digital codes for Easter Sunday. There you go. All right, Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ. Get in time for the holiday. Feel like it'll be Sunday before I fucking feel this Pepsi AC taking over. God damn it, my stomach is fucking killing me. Oh my god. If I <laughs> Hey, remember that episode of Pop Culture Leftovers where Brian <laughs> shit his pants? Oh yeah. I remember that one. That was a pretty terrible episode up until the point he shit his pants. <laughs> <laughs> That was a bad one. What, the episode or the shit in his pants? Huh? What's that? <laughs> That'll be a hot topic on episode 500. It'll be a hot topic in my fucking drawers here in a moment. <laughs> uh, I'm not even kidding you, man. Jesus Christ, trying to do this shit and you're fucking... Anyway. I don't know. Okay, we got a show here. Let's do... Uh... You guys, you guys are just like, oh my god! I'm I'm, I'm podcasting with a fucking lunatic this week. <laughs> I haven't gotten that far yet. I get it. I get it. I I wouldn't want to. Po- I would like if I was on the other end of this shit. I will be in about five fucking minutes here. Other end of shit in my fucking drawers. Uh, but <laughs> if I was on the other end of this shit, I would be fucking terrified. I would be like, oh hey, my god! I'm not gosh. terrified. It's just a hard energy to match. You know what I'm saying? I guess. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do some assist here, but it's a very, a very hard vibe. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It's like, oh, God. I get, nothing I say is going to fucking satisfy this guy. No, it's not even that. It's like, what can I say that's going to be cohesive or funny or? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to do the same myself, Jake. <laughs> I just burned through that contest like it was fucking nothing. I was a fan of it. I, I liked that contest reveal. Oh, my God. Ugh, this is not the week. Anyway, everybody. You got to get these sometimes. Deal with it. Sometimes. Yeah. Do you, I think other hosts would just call the week off and be like, we're not doing it this week. We're not doing no, it. No, we're fucking super host. No. No. I just, just, this is just a super dumb decision on my part. <laughs> <laughs> It's like if I have to go through this, everybody else has got to fucking listen to me fucking go through this bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus, Joe, you want to take over, man? I'm just good. <laughs> you fucking you watch all this shit. You just take over, man. I'm done. <laughs> just big shoes to fill. That'd be great if I. No, it's not. I don't do nothing special <laughs> over here. I don't do a goddamn thing. Ain't nothing special about what I do over here. Ain't a thing. Let's see here. What are we doing? What's the... Oh, do I have any cute stories? No. All right, let's just jump into Good Pop, Bad Pop, then. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's time for more Leftover Reviews with Good Pop, Bad Pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things of the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. I didn't watch the uh, Super Mario Brothers trailer. Oh, why not? Eh, don't really care. Oh, it looked great. I, was, yeah, I, I loved it. Here's the thing. I'm going to wait until I see it in the theater. When they drop it in the theater, I'll watch it in the theater. I didn't care to watch it on my fucking TV. I just I just didn't care. I'm, a, You know, that's the kind of week I've had, Jake. It's a week of not caring about anything. I, did, I literally just watched She-Hulk before we recorded. I held it off so fucking long. <laughs> scared to death. Scared to death to see this version of Daredevil. Just the just just very scared to watch the episode. And I've just been very disinterested this week in a lot of shit. And uh, Super yeah. Mario Brothers trailer was not at the top of my list to watch this week. I'll, I'll watch it when I'm in the theater. Maybe it'll blow me away in the theater. I didn't watch it. You liked it, though? I did like it. I, I thought, I mean, everything was rendered very, very nicely. When they go to the Mushroom Kingdom, it kind of pans in, like when you're starting the level. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I Much is being made of uh, Chris Pratt's Mario voice, but I don't know. I At this point, I think I'm Team Pratt. I I don't know what fans expected. I, I didn't want the guy going, wahoo, for like 90 fucking minutes, and that seems ridiculous. Like, we need a voice actor that can talk. I'm sorry to Charles Marionette, the original voice of Mario, but I don't think he could have hacked it in a big budget Mario movie. And until I hear Chris Pratt, I, I'm going to be optimistic, you know? 
Dude, oh, so- I, I totally agree with you. People think that they want that voice for a whole movie until you actually get it and realize that, no, this works fine in the games when every once in a while he says something. But but to actually carry a plot forward in a full movie, like th- th- that voice is just going to be way too It's to me, Mario, for the was- 800th time. Yeah, it would just get ridiculous. Yeah, like trying to have like uh, like an emotional scene between him and Peach, like... <laughs> I'm a lovey all of my life. Uh, you, you, you mean so much to me. Uh, you know, like, oh, shit. Am I going to get canceled right now? I don't know. Whatever. No, I mean, I think that's half the reason they, they couldn't do that, too. It's yeah. like, it's, come on now. I mean, me and you grew up when Captain Lou Albano was Mario's voice and Bob yeah. Hoskins. So, yeah, I don't know. I think people are being way too rough on Chris Pratt here. I think he's going to be fine. I think the entire voice cast is really stellar. I'm very excited for Charlie Day Luigi. So, yeah, I can't wait to see this movie. It's one of my most did they, did they movies not, of next year. Did they not talk in it at all? Was it all just visual? Uh, we hear Jack Black say a lot of dialogue as Bowser, and we hear Mario say two lines. Okay. He, he does a where am I and uh, here we go or some shit like that. Okay. Huh. And it's like it's basically Chris Pratt voice with a little bit of a like Brooklyn thing going on. Yeah. All right. Yeah, wait it's not s- terrible. People are acting like it's the Sonic trailer one. <laughs> yeah. And that it, if they outcry great. enough, they can change it just like they changed ugly Sonic. And I, I feel sorry for Chris Pratt. I I think he's fine. I, I think if the movie's good, it's going to be good. It's not going to be because we didn't have the original voice of Mario. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like this, this trailer, it looks so good. Like it was rendered really well for a trailer. I can only imagine how good it's going to look when it's up on the big screen. And, and just for the little bit that we got in it, it looks like it's going to have some good humor in it too. And I, I totally agree with you, Jake. It's going to be the plot that actually carries this thing through or not. Is it actually an engaging, fun movie with a worthwhile story? Or is it just a, another piece of shit that has the Mario name slapped on it that's going to be a movie that makes no sense at the end of the day? Yeah, we hear some Keegan-Michael Key doing Toad in the trailer as well. I forgot about that. Uh, Fred Armisen is the magic Koopa that speaks for Bowser in the trailer as well. I, I can't wait for this. I'm excited. Does it look like it'll be good, like a like a 3D type uh, movie? It looks like it's going to be IMAX 3D. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they even kind of tout that in the trailer. It looks amazing. Like, it'll in that format, it's really going to shine. Yeah, I'm about ready to call Peps at AC and ask him how long this shit takes to fucking kick in. Get him on the line. Make him the fourth co-host. What the fuck? How long does this shit take to fucking kick in? God damn. <laughs> That'd be great if you, if you just heard the phone ringing. I start, <laughs> I start bitching out the people over at Pepsi AC. <laughs> I want to know what their their hold music is at the Pepsi AC line. Yeah, goddamn. Maybe I should have went with Pepto. You think I should have went with Pepto? Try both. I don't have any Pepto over here. Um. Jeez. Oh, uh, prevents. Oh, and it relieves. Heartburn. Yeah, this is the episode you're getting, everybody. Deal with it. <laughs> All right? I'm going to read a fucking... I'm going to take five minutes to take a time out to fucking read the Pepsi AC label here. I'm in pain. 
All right. I took one. Okay. <laughs> Good so far. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's, that's candy for adults. Kids out going to be trick-or-treating soon. Here I am popping peps at AC because I'm getting old as shit. <laughs> that's my fucking candy. My stomach can't handle anything. All I fucking ate today, too, was some fucking oranges and uh, some uh, a couple uh, cubes of Colby Jack cheese and then uh, some hard-boiled eggs. You think that's what's fucking my stomach up right now? Oh, it's got to be. The eggs? I don't know. That's the first thing I thought was, yeah, the, the like, how many hard-boiled eggs do you eat? Four. Teen? Yeah, I'm you're kidding. probably used to eat like, four <laughs> 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 Fourteen. <laughs> no, no. I ate four. I ate four and I like I grinded some sea salt. Not like a mortar and pistol way. I didn't do it like that. I had one of those little <laughs> fucking harvesting and it and evaporating. Yeah, no shit. No God. I mean that would have been pretty cool. Uh, that's ridiculous. This is genuine dead sea salt. <laughs> uh, God, I feel like shit. Uh, that's awful, dude. I'm so sorry. I feel like shit. Oh, man. That Mario trailer. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. These segues are going to be the death of me this episode. Uh, I can tell. I'm going to be the death of me this episode, Jake. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, Jake, we went, to, we went and saw uh, Greg Sestero and uh, his new movie, Miracle Valley. Oh, yeah. We got to see the room after that as well again. Yeah, um, and he was there. He was there. Yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was a great time. I, I thought Miracle Valley was way better than I ever expected it to be or had any right to be. Like, I, I thought it was a fun, campy movie that knew what it was. Like, it was never yeah. trying to be anything more serious than a fun, campy horror movie. And I kind of loved it for that. I, I Tupperware the movie. I don't know if it works watching it at home by yourself, but with a with with an audience, I, I had a I had a blast. I don't see. It, it was a tu- it was a Tupperware for me as well. I thought yeah. that the second half was stronger than the first half, and I feel like a lot of times in movies like that, it's the other way around. And I appreciate a movie that saves the goods for for the last act. Yeah, yeah. Actually, went up and talked to Greg this time. Got there pretty early and talked to him. I think I was like the fourth person in line and got to talk to him. Super nice guy. Very nice guy. And uh, yeah, I loved his movie. I was shocked. I didn't think I'd like it as much as I did. I was like, I was kind of worried about watching the movie. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll watch this and then and, and bring on the room. And then like, I'm watching Miracle Valley and I'm like, this is actually really good. I'm really enjoying this movie. Did you see the pictures of the, the guy who played uh, the priest, Jake? Did you see the pictures the the GQ picture the, yeah. from his old magazine? Yeah, I did. I did. Very impressive. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, that guy sounded just awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, The movie's about an obsessive photographer and his girlfriend are invited to a desert getaway in search of an ultra-rare bird. Fortune, fame, and mending their fading friendship relationship takes a turn at the hands of a sinister force. Yeah, it's about... Uh, it's about uh, it's about a cult that's trying to get uh, special blood types and 
It's it's real, and they're harvesting blood from people, their followers and shit. It's really fucking good. It was a really good movie. I was actually blown away by how good Miracle Valley was. So it's an it's a Tupperware for me. So yeah, it had some minor Children of the Corn vibes with the the way the cult stuff played out in it as well. I thought like you definitely could tell he was a fan of a lot of those older type horror movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was impressed. He wrote, directed it. Fantastic job. Very. Very good. Like, I was thinking, like, you know, the guy comes from The Room, and I was just thinking, oh, this is just going to be a bad movie. Like, The Room. Oh, yeah. But it's not going to have I think I was charm. harsher than you. Like, I, I remember in my head going, ugh, I got to sit through this crap so I can see The Room again. Yeah. And it was so good. I couldn't believe how yeah. good it was. <laughs> it was great. If he's in your area and he's showing this movie, or if you get a chance, I think you can watch the movie for free on Tubi. So watch it there. But if you, I, I would highly recommend going to one of these live events if he's like in your in your area. So maybe go. I, he's probably got a website, you know, gregsistero dot com or something like that that lets you know where he's at and shit like that, or just follow him online. But uh, highly recommend it. I had a blast. Fantastic. Yeah, I wonder if anyone in that theater had actually seen Miracle Valley before that showing it felt like we were all watching it for the first time together i think so it really felt like it i mean you have to be a diehard super fan or i actually would have, you know even if i had access to it i would have waited to see it in a crowd like this so i agree that made it <laughs> even more exciting yeah all right amsterdam uh this movie came out uh thursday set in the 30s it follows three friends who witness a murder become suspects themselves and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in american history it's a period comedy thriller film direct, uh, directed written and produced by david o russell led by christian bale margot robbie and john david washington the film features an ensemble cast including chris rock anya taylor joy zoe saldana mike myers michael shannon timothy oliphant Andrea Riceborough, Taylor Swift, Matthias Schoenertz, Alessandro Nivola, Rami Malek, and Robert De Niro. And uh, found out it's inspired by a true story. I think some of the names were changed in this, but I think we all got a chance to watch this. Joe, what did you think about Amsterdam? Yeah, I was really looking forward to this one going in. I, I remember seeing the trailer for it and just thinking that it, it looked like a really fun, different movie. And having this stacked cast in it had me really excited, especially just seeing what Christian Bale was doing in the trailers with, you know, playing this this scarred up war vet that, that you know, kind of got some wild hair and, and a glass eye. And he's just doing quite the character in this. And, and getting into the theater and sitting there watching it, it was my auditorium was fairly empty. I think there was maybe only about a half dozen other people in there with me. And, and I really loved the performances in this movie. I, I loved the way it was shot. I, I, I was a little bored with the story at times. I, I think at the, at the end of the day, I went into this just assuming it, that this was going to be an easy Tupperware for me. And, and I almost was having to like fight the urge to like check the clock and, and see how much of this runtime was left. But I mean, that being said, like I love the performances in this so much, especially the the little bit of Robert De Niro we get when when he's on the stage at the end, the whole scene where he's giving that, that speech. It was one of the coolest scenes and just a very, very awesome character. Um, at the end of the day, for me, this ended up being just a high taste it. And man, I really, really wanted it to be a Tupperware, but it just it didn't quite get to that height for me. Uh 
I thought Bale was fantastic. I thought De Niro was fantastic. And I thought that um, with uh, John David Washington and Margot Robbie were pretty meh, in my opinion, to be quiet. And I found out John Boyega was supposed to be cast. And he he had, uh, since the since the pandemic, they had to push the shooting. And so he couldn't play John David Washington's character, which is unfortunate. But uh, but I do like John David Washington, but not as much as I like John Boyega. Uh, I'm, I'm giving this a low taste it. I did. I was like an hour in and I'm like, man, I, I liked how it started. And then I think it started to fall apart for me. It started to pick up a little bit when De Niro came in. I felt like it didn't feel like a like I like David O. Russell movies. I've been a fan of his other movies. Um, this, though, it felt like it didn't feel like a David O. Russell movie to me. And maybe it's been a long time since I've seen a David O. Russell movie, but it felt like David O. Russell trying to be the Coen brothers. And it didn't work for me. It just didn't work. And uh, I think about an hour in, I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm not really enjoying this movie. I'm loving the Bale performance and, and De Niro's great, but man, I'm just not digging this movie. It's, it's kind of all over the place. And uh, I would not, I, honestly, I would not recommend seeing this in the theaters. I was not a fan. It's a, it's a very low taste it for me. And I was checking, I, I was checking oh, my, sorry, I was checking my watch constantly. <laughs> is this almost over? God damn it. Is this almost over? I'm going to shit my pants in this fucking theater. Maybe it was just my <laughs> stomach, Joe. I don't know. I agree with you that you can totally skip the theater on this one. Um, now knowing what the movie is and knowing all the beats and everything to it, I think I would enjoy it more on a rewatch than I did on the first one. Just because the first one I spent so much time just wondering, oh my gosh, how much is left? Where is this story even going? And now knowing all the beats to it and everything, I think I'd get more out of it on a rewatch, but I'm definitely not willing to go to the theater for that rewatch. So I, I'm wondering if this one will do a little bit better on streaming. Maybe. It just didn't earn the rewatch for me. I liked the, you know, when they were flashing to World War One. I. I enjoyed those scenes. I thought they were really well done. Um, I liked uh, the meeting between the, the pact, the three, you know, uh, Bale and Washington and, and Robbie. I liked it when they were, when they first met. And then, and, you know, I even like the beginning where they kind of set everything up with like the murder and, but it just, as the, as the movie just dragged on, I just, it just kind of dragged me down. I just was not a fan. Um, Jake, what did you think about Amsterdam? I like this movie a lot more than you guys. This was a Tupperware for me. Um, yeah, I just really dug this movie. I dug its vibe. I thought the three main leads were all fantastic. Um, I definitely fell in love with Christian Bale's Burt character very quickly, like 10 minutes in. I, I just thought that character was so great. Um, yeah, I just, I'd love the supporting cast. I, I kind of liked that it was all over the place. That that kind of felt like its style. And um, yeah, I just really appreciated the the way the storytelling worked in this movie. I thought a lot of the supporting characters were super, super fun. Uh, Mike Myers and Michael Shannon together were very standout, amazing supporting characters for me. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was a great movie. Um, I wouldn't be me if I didn't bring up the Taylor Swift of it all. I thought she was so terrible. Like her actual <laughs> acting was just unbelievable. Like I couldn't believe that she was on the screen with the, the people that she was on the screen with. And it, it felt like she was like a little bit overwhelmed and in her head doing that stuff. She was, she was awful, but yeah, I, I thought this was, this was a fantastic movie. Um, 
it's not the best David O. Russell movie, but it, it's way up there for me. Oh, yeah. This is my, by far my least favorite David O. Russell movie. And, um, really? Worse than Joy? Yeah. Worse than Joy. 100% worse than Joy. I actually enjoyed Joy. Yeah. That's one I saw in the theater. Yeah. I think my favorite is Three Kings. I like Oh, that's a good one. I like that. What was it? The the Silver Linings Sil- Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook is a close second. That's my favorite. Yeah, this this is not even This just felt like I don't know. It felt like he was trying to do a Coen Brothers thing. It just did not work for me. I didn't care Michael Myers Mike Myers didn't do anything for me. Michael Shannon usually, you know, plays these quirky characters. He just didn't do it for me. And this this movie was just so scattered. Yeah, I, it just didn't work. I, after the first hour, I kind of checked out. I, I yeah. Yeah. This... I can see that. I can see the Coen brothers complaint. Um, but I, I do agree with Joe. I, I think, um, especially if you were inclined to like this movie, I think very possibly it'll play better a second time. Yeah, because yeah, I'll definitely be giving it a rewatch once it's out on streaming. Yeah, I won't be touching this one. <laughs> I'm over it. Oh, I'm glad you guys liked it, though. Yeah, that's Amsterdam out in theaters right now. So, yeah. Um, let's see here. Do Revenge on Netflix. Yeah, this uh, popular Drea wants a uh, wants revenge on her boyfriend for publishing her sex tape, and exchange student Eleanor is haunted by a rumor. The two teenagers two teenagers team up to take action against their tormentors. It's directed by Jennifer Caton Robinson, who wrote the screenplay alongside Celeste Ballard. It stars Camilla Mendez, Maya Hawke, Austin Abrams, Rish Shaw, and Sarah Michelle Gellar, and is loosely inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on Train. And so, yeah, in this movie, you've got uh, Camilla Mendez playing a character here who's... um, Boyfriend believes she believes that her boyfriend published her sex tape that she had with him. So they, she, uh, did she, should she just film herself like doing something like taking her clothes off or something? Is that what it was? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And so it gets published and all the school sees it like the next day and it kind of like ruins her. And like, so then, then her boyfriend starts dating her best friend and then she becomes friends with Maya Hawks character who is like an exchange student and not exchange student. Um, she's a new student in the school and, uh, and come to find out that she used to date a girl at the school. Um, but did she date her or were they just like childhood crushes? They were at like a summer camp they, thing. together. No, they were at a camp together. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess this girl outed her to everybody. And, and so they both want to get revenge uh, against uh, against their tormentors, as the synopsis calls it. So, uh, yeah, Joe, what did you think about uh, Do Revenge? Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, I think that it definitely has some faults in it, but it, it, this movie had a lot of high highs in it and, and kind of some low lows in it. Um, the the lows for me were the pacing in this movie and just the the overall plot is like a it's a real roller coaster <laughs> where this thing's just gonna take you on quite a ride. Uh, but it had lots of genuinely funny movement uh, moments in it. It's got some real like kind of TV MA humor 
in in parts that that really speak to my sense of humor um the the part where it was like the the whole like montage and it kept going back to the guy on the bleachers like talking about the pros of eating ass <laughs> it was so fucking funny to me i was laughing out loud at how ridiculous that was um i loved that that um that Maya Hawk's character of Eleanor has a a like a, a stress help animal that is a lizard named uh Olivia Col or Oscar winner Olivia Coleman. I thought that was really funny that <laughs> she had a lizard with such a ridiculous name. Um just the 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 scenarios that these girls get into in this private school is, is just fucking wild. Um th- this is one of those movies that going into it. I was like, okay, I have a feeling that I'm going to like this, but the runtime on it, I felt like this could have really been trimmed up and made into a lot tighter script, and I would have been much more happy with it than I ultimately was. But still, this one came in as a high taste it for me. I I could see myself watching it again, but but man, I I know if I if I rewatch it, I'm going to be thinking the whole time, man, this thing could have really been tightened up and better. But but it had enough funny parts in it that uh, that it, it still it still worked for me. Yeah, what'd you think, Jake? Oh, I love this. This was a Tupperware for me as well. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a it was a fun high school story with a dark edge about, you know, two unlikely friends. It's like two people from two different cliques teaming up to get revenge on the people that wronged them. And it's just right from the start, like the elevator pitch is so fun. And I thought I thought the the uh, the delivery worked really well too. Um Sarah Michelle Keller was great as the principal. I thought her role was really fun. And yeah, the two stars just had great chemistry, I thought. Um, this movie had an amazing soundtrack as well. Yeah, this is a, a Netflix must-watch if you haven't seen it, I thought. Yeah, I, I it's a high-taste-it for me. I thought Sarah Michelle Geller did nothing but add the fact that they kept playing 90s music throughout the entire fucking movie and the fact that she was kind of like in a bunch of 90s movies that's really all it kind of did for me there i i don't think she for me she didn't do anything um i i liked uh i liked the fact that it was r-rated though very mature and i thought Mm -hmm. you know i I appreciate that um you know i like any kind of like teen teen r-rated stuff you know it takes me back to like when i you know why i loved heathers when i was a kid you know and um but, I, you know, I like this enough. I just think, like, the third act, it just kept, you know, one development after another development. And there's points and times where it's like, do I like this character? Oh, I hate this character. Now I like this character. Now I hate this character. <laughs> so I was a little all over the place with how I felt about certain characters. But I think at the end of the day, it, 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 it worked overall. But I do agree with Joe. They could have trimmed this up a little bit because I started. I I started to get like a little antsy towards the end. Like, come on, let's let's wrap this fucker up. <laughs> All right, up. we don't need to, we don't need a full two hours or whatever the fuck this is. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it enough. I, I think it was a pretty good movie. Um, I think uh, Maya Hawk is is fantastic. Man, she looks in this movie. There's times where she looks so much like her mother. It's insane to me how how how, yeah. how much she looks mm-hmm. like Uma. I think she's really good. I think she's really good. And Camilla Mendes, you know, coming from the the Riverdale shit, you know, I mean, she's really, <laughs> she's really, you know, she's really good. I, I enjoyed Riverdale for like the first few seasons. I did drop off the show. But yeah, she, I think it's respectable <laughs> trash TV. Yeah, so I enjoyed this enough. I do revenge. I give it a high taste. I, I definitely think, yeah, you should watch this. 
And uh, yeah, I think it's an enjoyable Netflix teen R-rated comedy. So definitely check it out. But not, I, at the end of the day, it doesn't get the Tupperware for me because I don't think it has the rewatchability for me. It's not. It's it's not like an instant like teen classic where I have to feel like I have to watch this over and over and over again. Like there are movies like that. You know those teen. Those teen comedies or those <clears throat> teen dark comedies that I feel like I have to watch. Like Heather's I've seen, I can't even tell you how many times. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, American Pie, Super Bad. Like those are all just like instant fucking classics for me. This is this is a valiant effort. I just don't think it has like the Tupperware rewatchability as some of those others that I listed. But uh, I did enjoy it. So yeah, it is on Netflix. Check it out. Uh, you brought up the 90s music in this. Did you catch the symphonic version of yes. How Bizarre? Yes, I did. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I thought it was fucking awesome. I immediately looked it up, and I was like, oh, okay, I got to hear this again. It's so good. Have you I appreciated that it wasn't all 90s music. Like, I thought it was an interesting mix of modern music and 90s music. You don't hear that very often. Usually they just go one way or the other. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the modern music. I'm just, I'm still stuck in the 90s. I'm stuck in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I, I, I just, that's all I listen to. So I couldn't even tell you the fucking modern music. Yeah, that's fine. Movie. But I, I'm here to tell you that they played at least half a dozen songs that came out within the last year. Fair enough. It's just for me, everything that stuck out was 90s. So, and I appreciated that. I, I like 90s music. It, the, the, it's weird how, though, uh, in these movies, that uh like the 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 male bullies like back in the day it used to be like the you know the football player and shit like the big football player you know the the jocks and now like this now they all like now all the now all like the popular guys in the school that are like the you know they they all look like Timothy Chalamet or some shit. Like this guy that's, in this fucking. That's a great point. No, it's, it's like, always it's, like <laughs> it's always the rich kid. Like the jocks are almost like heroic characters in these modern movies. Let's get this Peter Pan looking motherfucker to be like the the popular guy in school. <laughs> right? He he looks like a dainty little Peter Pan boy. He absolutely does. <laughs> For sure. And that's that's what we've replaced our big jock bully with. Is these fucking dainty little boys? I think it's way more realistic. Like the the things that made this guy who he is is like his upbringing. Like leave the, leave the jocks alone. They don't always need to be painted as the bullies. All right, I, I guess I'm out of touch with high school. Is this what high school is like now? It's all the the rich little. I don't know. I just. Grew up in the I mean, 90s. that's what it was like then, too, if you, if you ask me. Like, yeah. I had a ton of jock friends. It was the fucking snobby kids that were the assholes, the huh. super preps. Okay. All right. I, we had different high school experiences. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Let's see here. My Best Friend's Exorcism. This dropped on Prime Video in 1988. Best Friend. I feel like shit. I feel I just want everybody to know that I feel like absolute ass right now. Oh my god, do I feel terrible. My best friend's exorcism in 1988, best friends Abby and Gretchen navigate boys, pop culture and a paranormal force clinging to Gretchen with help from a mall exorcist. Abby is determined to compel the demon back to the pits of hell if it doesn't kill Gretchen first. Uh, it's a supernatural comedy horror film directed by Damon Thomas 
from a screenplay by Jenna Lamia based on the 2016 novel of the same name by Grady Hendrix. The film stars Elsie Fisher, uh, Fisher, Amaya Miller, Rachel Agechi Kanu, and Kathy Ang. And um, yeah, it's 1988, and these girls are sophomores, Abby and Gretchen, they're best friends. Gretchen is moving away over the summer. And, um, but they, uh, uh, they call that, what do they call each other? Yala's, love you, love, wait, Layla's, Layla's, love you like a sister. Yes. Yeah. They call each other Layla's. Um, and, um, so what are they, they go out into like, they go out in like the woods one night and there's like a, is it like in a cabin or some shit where they, uh, the girl gets possessed by this demon. Yeah, yes. Some building. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's what this movie's about. Uh, my my best friend's exorcism, and um, yeah, uh, actually I, I I like this movie quite a bit. Um, I I think uh, this is this is a kind of like an R rated uh, comedy horror film, and uh, I thought that this was a lot of fun. I liked that it took place in 1988. I like Elsie Fisher. I liked her in eighth grade. I thought she was fantastic in that movie, and I thought she was really good in this. And uh, what's the girl? The other girl that plays uh, uh, Gretchen, she she reminds me of Chloe Grace Moretz. I can see that. Oh, totally. And uh, yeah, I like this movie quite a bit. I, I and it, it's got the guy from Glow in it, right? I don't, I can't remember his name, but he was fantastic. He plays one of those like Christian weightlifters. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. <laughs> But uh, I like this quite a bit. I'm going to give it a Tupperware. I thought that this was a fun comedy horror. Joe, what did you think about My Best Friend's Exorcism? Yeah, it was okay. I, I, I felt like even down to the music in this, this thing was was trying to ride the Stranger Things vibes with the, with the 80s in this and all, and all the synth music. And yeah, like it's, you know, it says it's a comedy horror. And and at the end of the day, it didn't really go hard enough in the comedy side or the horror side for me. And so I was just kind of left a little bit bored with this movie. Um, it didn't work near as well for, for me as it did for you. But it, but it did have some shining spots in it. Like you bring up the, the, the Jesus bodybuilding guys. I thought that that was funny. A lot of the stuff that they did with religion in this was really funny because the girls go to this Catholic school and, and they're pretty repressed. And some of the conversations that they have – are uh, are pretty funny but yeah dude this this one just didn't work as well for me i was i don't think i would ever go back and watch this one again and but it, it did have some some moments in it that that were that were pretty funny to me but but yeah i i don't know this movie just really didn't work that well for me unfortunately okay uh jake what did you think what did joe rate this he did taste it Oh. I tossed this. I didn't like it at all. Um, my first note was bad Stranger Things wannabe music. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm a lot like what Joe said. I, I was never laughing nor scared. Um, I was definitely checking my watch through most of this movie. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting story choice to like the audience sees what happens to Gretchen enough to know and then they like play it off like they never showed us that scene like i just get to the juice like we know something's happened to her why are they doing so much is she or isn't she herself stuff for the next 30 minutes i thought that was just a giant waste of time 
and then by the time we got to like some of the more like horror stuff i, I was pretty checked out um i thought the worm stuff was stupid I, I i did not like this movie at all all right sorry i got a cat on me let's just move on jesus christ i'm done um <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm suddenly flashing back to the tapeworm scene. I had blocked that from my mind. <laughs> I yeah. wish I wish I had a tapeworm right now. That might help. They do all this stuff at the end of this movie too. They do like the "Here's where everyone is now" stuff, and oh my gosh, it was the cringiest version of that I've ever seen in a movie. All right, let's talk about the Midnight Club. This is on Netflix. Uh, how many episodes is this? Ten. I watched two. Uh, a group of seven close, terminally ill young adults reside in Rotterdam Home Hospice run by an enigmatic doctor. They meet at midnight every night to tell each other scary stories. One night they make a pact that the first one to succumb to their disease is responsible for communicating with the others from beyond the grave. After one of them dies, bizarre occurrences begin. Uh, it's created by Mike Flanagan and Leah Fong, with Flanagan serving as showrunner and executive producer, along with Trevor Macy. An adaptation of the 1994 novel of the same name by Christopher Pike, the series follows eight hospice patients who meet up each midnight to tell sinister stories. And, um, yeah. Joe, what did you think about the, the Midnight Club? How many episodes did you watch? I'm three episodes into this so far, and... Man, I've been looking forward to this ever since first news of it dropped. I'm a really big Mike Flanagan fan. I, I like what he's been doing on Netflix. I was a huge fan of The Haunting of Hill House. I still think that that's one of the best horror things I've seen in, in terms of, in a very, very scary, spooky way, portraying a haunted house and, and ghosts within it and and how that can relate to the characters that are being haunted. I just think that that show was brilliant. And and I really liked what he did with Midnight Mass as well. And so this one I was I was absolutely stoked for. And also the whole premise of it, it, it kind of reminds me of a twist on um uh Are You Afraid of the Dark from Nickelodeon in the mid nineties, which which I absolutely loved when I was a kid. It used to, you know, scare me, scare the shit out of me sometimes. You know, it was always entertaining. And that group that would gather in, in the dark and tell scary stories was called the Midnight Society. And so this is it, it just feels like kind of a, a spiritual cousin to to this thing from my youth that I treasured so much. And so far, three episodes in, I'm really intrigued on what's going on here. There's some really great mystery going on at this. Um, I think it's like, is it Brightcliff, Brightcliff Manor or something like that that they're at? Um, really intrigued with what's going on with the history of this place, because it's a, it's a very old house, this big mansion type thing that was built by like some like lumber baron or something like that at the, at the turn of the century. And then there was some cultists living in it a while. And then it's been a, a hospice for, for terminally ill, like children and young adults for a very long time since. And, and these characters that are there, they're having these supernatural experiences, but they keep just chalking it up to, well, we're on lots of different meds right now and they can make you see things. What do you expect? And then they gather every night and they gather in the library and they tell stories that they've made up to try and scare each other. And so it seems like every episode there's like a couple new stories that these kids gather together and, and tell that they get acted out in the story as well. So you've kind of got this main plot going of what's going on with this house and, and the supernatural goings on. And then you also get like a like a B plot in every episode that's kind of a different scary story that it's almost reminiscent of like 
you know, like uh, standalones, kind of like Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. So, so far, this has been really entertaining. I think the cast has been good. He, um, So far, I've seen some of the other returning cast members from from other Mike Flanagan things that um, that you'll recognize. And, um, yeah, so far for me, dude, this is a Tupperware. I've been absolutely loving it. And um, I really hope they stick the landing. I still got seven more episodes to go. and But so far, I'm absolutely loving all of the 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 mysterious supernatural stuff they're baking into this yeah i love mike flanagan too a big fan of midnight mass and uh what was that the house on haunted hill was that it haunting a hill house yeah. uh the haunting Manor as well yeah i like him uh this is my least favorite thing that he's done though sadly i'm two episodes in and i have no interest in watching anymore um it just is not working for me um I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's like, okay, there's, there, is there something supernatural going on? Yes, there's something supernatural going on. What's going, I don't know. And then we get these stories. It's kind of all over the place. Um, I think some of the acting is really good. I really like the girl, the, is she like Irish? Yeah, who plays Anya? Yeah, she looks like Steve Buscemi and Sandra Bernhardt had a kid. And uh, I think... (laughs) She's great. I think she's fantastic. But I, I, I'm not really, I'm not really that invested in the show. And after two episodes, I was like, yeah, this is one I don't really care to finish. To be quite honest with you, so I'm at a low taste it for it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of. I, I don't know. I, I just it just didn't hook me the way it did you, Joe. I just I've I've, I've liked his other entries a lot more than this. I think I'm probably going to be the odd man out on this one, which is fine. Jake, what did you think? No, I'm right there with you on this one, Brian. I was at a low taste it. I only watched the first episode, though hearing Joe's review kind of makes me want to see at least one more. Uh, that's interesting that they're going to continue the stories every episode. But yeah, I don't know. I just thought that this was was very heavy. Um, I thought the acting was very good, but there, yeah, there just wasn't that hook to it at all. Like, yeah, I guess the place was haunted and there's some back history and there's a bit of a, will they, won't they be able to like beat off these diseases? But man, I feel like this is going to be a real downer of a story. I, I just don't know if I want to commit to this much sadness. Um, (laughs) if that's your thing, like crying on a Friday night, this feels like the type of show to binge watch, but that's normally not my thing. Well, it's the whole thing of like, you know, the one girl was terminally ill. She went there and then miraculously was healed. I don't know, man. It's just like, I I guess I kind of have a problem with like introducing supernatural stuff into like healing children, possibly. It's just weird. Because it's yeah, I I, I agree. Because then once you introduce that stuff, like it feels like a big letdown if that kind of stuff doesn't save like our mains. And I, I feel like Mike Flanagan is not, does not write for the happy ending. So um, yeah, I just, I just do not want to see how this one pans out really. I just don't want to go through the heartbreak. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just, I mean, it was filmed well enough. It was acted well enough. It was just a real slow burn and really depressing. And yeah. it wasn't my thing. I know, like, they, like it's been a thing where, like, these sick kid movies have been real popular. And they, they are tearjerkers. And I've seen quite a few of them. And some of them are very good. And, then, yes, they're, they're big-time tearjerkers. It's, like, it's really sad to see, you know, very young people, very young people with promising futures not get to live out that future. And I guess just mixing in the horror element of it all, just kind of, like, 
I mean, it, I'm not saying it's in bad taste. I'm just saying it just doesn't work for me. It's not like it, it doesn't have me coming back for more. It's, it's hard enough getting through a movie of, of watching like a teenager die. And it's so, you know, mixing that in with a genre that I typically like it's for, you know, whatever it is, eight to 10 episodes. I just, not it's not my thing so yeah i'm right there with you and it's obvious people are gonna die i think the longest resident of the place has been there six months yeah which i just even that line of dialogue made me really sad um one more interesting thing before we move on did you guys see that mike flanagan made the guinness book of world records with this show no uh, the first episode of this show has the most jump scares of any first episode or movie ever made, clocking in at 21 jump scare moments in the first episode. Yeah, I would believe that. Well, yeah. well, and, and that's funny, too, the way that they work that into the storytelling. I, I thought that that was well played. I feel like he almost wrote that part. Like he got it 17 and like found out like the record was 19. And it was like, oh, we got to We got to write in four more jump scares and get, get in this book. <laughs> That's excellent. And I, I know it's cliched to say that these things get better as they go on. But the first episode on this is a little bit more tedious and a little bit more depressing than the other ones with with our main lead getting her diagnosis and we, we you know there's so much setup that they have to do in the first episode and so episodes two and three they really get more into the meat of it and but you know that, i mean i still got seven episodes ahead of me it could still definitely turn but i am in for the long haul on this one and i'd imagine i'll have it finished before the end of the week so if if it really blows me away i'll text you guys and and let you know give you give you the the, the it gets better text <laughs> yeah i Sorry, I've hold on. I've got a cat over here destroying a box. <laughs> As they want to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. hold on. <laughs> yeah, Joe, uh it I don't care how great you think it I I just will not get back to it. I'm sorry, man. I'm just I'm not gonna get back <laughs> that's to it. That's actually that's where I'm at too. There there's no way this isn't gonna be just extremely dour by the end of it, and I just can't put myself through it. Well, and it's fine if people – and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people that watch this and love it and more power to them. It's just not – this is not – this is definitely not for me. So I'm going to I'm gonna pass on this one. There's plenty of like horror stuff coming out this month that I will be watching, but uh, I don't think – and I'm sure Mike Flanagan, I, I'm sure he's not done with Netflix and he's not done with horror. So I'll just watch the next thing that he does. Um, yeah, he's doing uh, Fall of the House of Usher, which is the third in the uh, Bly Manor Hill House thing. Nice. Uh, Werewolf by Night dropped on Disney Plus. On a dark and somber night, a secret cabal of monster hunters emerge from the shadows and gather at the foreboding Bloodstone Temple following the death of their leader. In a strange, macabre memorial to the leader's life, the attendees are thrust into a mysterious and deadly competition for a powerful relic, a hunt that will ultimately bring them face-to-face with a dangerous monster. Inspired by horror films of the 1930s and 40s, the chilling special aims to evoke a sense of dread and the macabre, with plenty of suspense and scares along the way as we explore a new corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Directed by... Uh, Michael Giacchino and written by Heather Quinn and Peter Cameron. And um, yeah, uh, I've been waiting for this one on Disney. I think it clocked in at around 55 minutes. And Joe, what did you think about uh, Werewolf by Night? 
Oh, yeah, dude. I've been looking forward to this one. Um, one of my favorite things that's been going on in Phase 4 is just Marvel getting all these opportunities to do something that's just completely different from other stuff that they've done so far. And this one might be the one that's reaching the farthest away from anything else they've ever done. It's with it being a one shot and it being completely shot in black and white. It it really doesn't have too much in it that ties in to to anything else in the MCU other than a little bit of a animation intro at the beginning talking, you know, showing the original Avengers. And then it immediately dives into this, this underbelly of the Marvel cinematic universe with, with monsters and monster hunters and the way that they did this in black and white, the way that, that Michael Giacchino did it as this tribute to these old monster movies from like the, was it like the thirties and forties and Man, it, it just absolutely worked for me. I thought that this was really, really great. Um, the Doing it as a one-shot, I think, was so smart in that they gave us just enough to be, I mean, to, to give us everything that we needed in the story with, without drawing it out. I don't think this would have been as successful if they'd have done it as like a six-episode season. This, this one-shot format for this just worked absolutely perfect. Uh, th- this was a Tupperware for me. Um, I've only gotten to watch it one time so far, but man, I know before the week's over, I'm going to have this watched it at least a few more times. Um, I'm also really looking forward to seeing what else Michael Giacchino is going to do as a director, because I thought this was really well, well directed. It had just the right amount of, of humor and stuff in it. I mean, this was just a, a perfect blend for me and it, it absolutely worked for me. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Jake, what'd you think? Yeah, I'm right there with Joe on every on everything. This was a complete Tupperware for me. Um, I have watched this twice now. Um, yeah, this was so good that this might be a forever Halloween tradition for me, honestly. Um, yeah, I just love what they did with the characters. I thought the direction was just insane, especially like knowing, knowing Giacchino had never directed anything before. I, I thought he did a stellar job. Um, I was curious if he did the music as well, and he did, and I thought I thought the music was really cool in this. Uh, great practical effects. Love seeing like the cigarette burns in the film and just how all in they went with it. Um, the little splashes of color that they did every now and again, I thought were really well played and really cool as well. Uh, a great surprise guest appearance at some point in this that just blew my mind. And yeah, this this was like the most instant classic thing I've seen in a long time. I adored this. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I'm going to give it a high taste it. Um, I thought everything was great. I don't, I just wasn't the biggest fan of, I thought the, the look was awesome. I thought man thing looked amazing. Don't get me wrong. I thought, but just, they still have to make the character like, like cute in a way. Am I wrong here? Like just the way the character was acting was a little, we're straight up talking about man thing now. Yeah. Okay. I was, I didn't know if we were going to come out with that or not. Um, I think that's the way man thing has been portrayed many times in the comic book. Um, okay. the, the, the Ted thing is straight out of the comic. Book. I know that. Yeah. Um, I've seen this portrayal quite a bit. I, I, I think it fell in line with the style and the atmosphere that was going on in this. I, I had no problem with that interpretation. I didn't see it as like a baby grudifying man thing. Okay. I, I took it kind of that way. It's like, this guy was a man, <laughs> you know, he was a doctor. <laughs> he's a doctor well, thought- and he's acting like a, 
you know, he's acting like a cute little, cute little monster man. So I, I it murdered things pretty in an uncute way, though. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. I thought he only had the one moment where he looked kind of cute, and it was when Elsa says his name, and then his eyes kind of soften, and he's kind of looking at her, and I was like, aw. But other than that, I, th- I thought he was pretty fearsome. I mean, especially the way he's dispatching people was terrifying. Okay. Maybe I just read it wrong. But, yeah. But I, you know, it it just, yeah, it just, for me, it came off like a little too, too cute. Like, look at my sad eyes here in this moment. <laughs> so I liked it, though. <laughs> I thought stylistically it was amazing. I think it did pay, like, great homage to, like, 1930s and 40s horror. And uh, I thought uh, the length was perfect. I did like the choice for black and white. Um, and Kevin Feige was not a fan of that at first. He didn't okay the decision for uh, Werewolf by Night to be in black and white until the third cut, they said. And that's, that's actually what Michael uh, Giacchino revealed recently. It took, uh, I, I read that same article. Yeah. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. Cool. This was He's, way more violent than I expected it to get to. Yeah, I think they got away with I, it was violent. I was just man, I was just thinking to myself that the reason that they were able to take it that violent for such a Marvel thing is cuz it wasn't black and white with the blood. You're not going to see like the you know what I mean? It's like it's like almost like putting the blood coat on Mortal Kombat, right? Yeah. That's a yeah. really good point. The the black and white. Um, yeah. That part where that one hunter catches that sword to the head, though, that might have been one of the most vicious kills we've seen in the MCU. Yeah. I don't think you get... Yeah, but I don't think you get like that 1930s or 40s feel unless you do put it in black and white. And I think it worked. And, you know, when we did see color, it was just like that red magic. And I thought that that was a nice touch. So, yeah, I guess like... I don't know. My only complaint was just like the little bit of man thing making him... I mean, this was a fucking man at one time, like a doctor. And here, I don't know, there's a couple times where I just thought he, they were trying to make him look, look a little cute. But yeah, there were some deadly kills in there, and I appreciated that. So I definitely think it was a, def- it was a swing for Marvel. This is definitely something different than they've ever done before. And Oh, hugely different. Yeah, I want to see him do more stuff like this. I'm looking forward to like the Marvel zombies and stuff like that. Aren't they doing like the animated Marvel zombies? Correct. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. I would like to see this. I think you might have suggested this, Brian, or I saw it somewhere that they do this as like a yearly tradition. After seeing this, I would love that. They should. They should like every, I think every Halloween they should do something. They should definitely have like a, I want to see them do like a Captain America. Remember when Captain America turned into a werewolf? Oh, that's classic. I'll never forget they, they, they've done it twice, I think, in the comics. To my knowledge, they did it with, you know, classic Cap, and then I'd say uh, 2017, 2016, 2017, they did it with uh, Falcon Cap. And so it'd be interesting. I, you know, since we still have Falcon Cap, it'd be great to see Anthony Mackie turn into a werewolf. I would love that. I think a large percentage of fans would would recognize what was going on there too. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it was. I That's mean, up there with like Frog Thor yeah. as far as legendary storylines. Yeah, I think they should do it. I mean, they they made a figure a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the cosplay a few times. Yeah, <laughs> it's excellent. So no, I enjoyed it. It's it's it's. I thought it was very well done. I thought Giacchino did a great job uh, for his uh, directorial debut with this. I was very impressed with him doing it. I, 
I, you know, I couldn't believe like, oh my God, this is the composer. He did a great job. So yeah, I liked it. I, I'd like to see more of this shit. Perfect length. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see like this continued. Like if, if this kind of story and these characters are only going to exist once a year on a Halloween special, that would be great. Oh, I, they need to do the, the origin of man thing. I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, now that they've introduced the character, let's show how he got there, you know? I mean, and that goes into the super, the, like the, the super serum, and, and yeah, I think it'd be very cool. And I think if you did it in black and white and did a little bit of, like, um, body horror with it, that'd be fantastic. Have a guy fucking crash in a swamp and then watch the swamp kind of, like, you know, make it, you know, basically, like, fuse to his body. That'd be awesome. Yeah, let's get Kevin Feige to sign David Cronenberg for one of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That'd be wild, dude. Let's see. I wouldn't be surprised if Raimi came back and did something for this in Halloween. Oh, yeah. This is right up Raimi's alley. He he loves this kind of thing. Yeah, Werewolf by Night. Uh, let's talk about... Um, this came out in theaters last week, Bros., uh, Bobby is a neurotic podcast host who's happy to go on Tinder dates and content not to have a serious relationship. That all changes when he meets Aaron, an equally detached lawyer who likes to play the field. Reportedly drawn to each other, both men begin to show their vulnerable sides as their undeniable attraction turns into something resembling a commitment. It's uh, directed by Nicholas Stoller from a screenplay he co-wrote with Billy Eichner. Who also stars and executive producers, uh, executive produces. Uh, the film also stars Luke McFarlane, uh, T.S. Madison, Monica Raymond, Guillermo Diaz, Guy Branham, and Amanda Bierce. And um, I'll just start off by saying I really have been wanting to see this one. Uh, I'm a big fan of Billy Eichner. I have been since Billy on the Street. I love that show. I used to watch it religiously, like back in the days of like the DVR, like. I had tons of these fucking that I would just watch all the time. Once I found out about this guy, I was just like, this guy is so fucking funny. And, um, man, I'm telling you, I, I, this is one of the best movies I've seen all year. Like hands down. This is my favorite thing that I watched this week. And I mean, at the end of it, I was thinking like, this is definitely going to be on my list for best of, um, this is such an important movie, in my opinion. Such an important movie. Like, so good. I, I mean, I laughed. I laughed out loud. There was only, like, three people in my entire theater, including me. And I could not stop from laughing out loud. And then there's, like, this really emotional scene where Billy Eichner's character is talking about how you know, he is, since he is a gay man and how he has to like work that much harder than like the straight guys in order to get like ahead in the workplace and get noticed. And like that scene had me like almost in tears. Um, but then the movie would have me cracking up and laughing and some, and, and I love that it didn't shy away from like gay sex. Like I, and I hope that like, you know, I hope this movie makes fucking some people very fucking uncomfortable. I hope it makes people very uncomfortable. You know it is. You don't have, I don't think you have to hope. 
Yeah, but man, and I hope that you know it's like one of those things. Where it's like I don't care, I, man. I I mean, I think I think more straight men and more straight people should talk to talk to uh, you know their gay friends about gay sex, and we can talk to them about straight sex. It's all sex, but I like how this movie does show that it is different as far as like how their relationships and things like that can be. Um, <laughs> I also like that they had like the. They went to like that Hallmark convention. It's almost like a Hallmark convention. And like, I found out that this guy, Luke McFarlane, that plays Aaron, comes from like all these Hallmark movies. Like, that's. I was going to bring that up too. <laughs> we found that out after the fact. Like, yeah. he's never been in any big thing except these Hallmark movies, which it made it even more hilarious. And I was like, this guy, I think this guy's, this guy was fucking incredible. This movie had me. This movie had me. This movie. This is a very important movie. After the at the end, I was like, man, this is so different from Top Gun Maverick. But mo- both movies I loved so much for different reasons. Um, I did not know Billy Eichner could sing the way he sang. Like I fucking was blown away. Like I was like, oh my god, I hate country music, but I like. I like his gay country song. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> I think his character hated it too. <laughs> um, I like the scene where they're like laying in bed and he's, he, he compliments his concave chest and how it looks like a tiny bird fountain. I was dying at that. Um, I like the orgy scene where that guy Steve to kind of weasel his way into it. <laughs> that was the funniest scene in the whole movie to me. <laughs> Oh my god. I I love this movie. It's a very important movie. It's a very important movie and it's very funny. It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Um I loved it. Bros is the highest of Tupperwares and uh I I loved it. It's one of my favorite movies of this year. So, yeah. Um Jake, what'd you think about Bros? Yeah, I'm right there with you on this one. I, I thought this movie was so good. It, it's a Tupperware. It it was everything. Like it was absolutely hilarious. It was extremely heartwarming. Uh, and yeah, I thought the chemistry between Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane was like electromagnetic. Like, I don't think I've seen anything like it in a long time. Like, I was instantly in this, like, will they, won't they story with these two characters. And yeah, the first thing I did when I got out was like, man, this Luke McFarlane guy, like, I came for Billy Eichner, but I was just blown away by how good, good Luke McFarlane was. And yeah, he comes from Hallmark. So, oh my God, I don't know if this guy was that good on the Hallmark shows or they just directed the shit out of this guy. And man, he was fantastic. And I thought the uh, the sex scenes in this movie were some of the funniest sex scenes I've, I've ever seen. Like the, the the physical comedy involved in those scenes was just so on point from the, the orgy scene to, to the scene with uh, Bobby and Aaron when they have sex. I like with the foot in the mouth and all that stuff like, it was like <laughs> i was dying oh my gosh <laughs> like i would love to um i think like if they did outtakes on the dvd blu-ray there's got to be some hilarious stuff like whoever did the final edit on that scene was a mastermind in comedy it was just wow and yeah i i'm right there with you it's, it's a very important movie and if just the thought of it being two gay characters makes you not want to see it, get over yourself. This is a, a hilarious rom-com and you should definitely go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I liked all the, um, you know, the nods to LGBTQ plus history and stuff like that. It's like, it's actually, you know, a lot of this stuff is stuff that people don't know. And I think this movie is kind of letting you know, like, Hey, you know, we've got our, 
own history here too. And I, it's very important because it's like, it's one of those things where it's like their history has not been taught and, and it's been kind of like buried. And now they're finally at a place where they can somewhat put this out there. It's like, they're just starting out. And I was like, man, that's so fucking true. Wow. Even think about like how, I mean, I'm going back to like the, the, the nineties, like late nineties, where it's like movies about gay men, lesbians were very few and far between. It was like, I yeah, remember, and when when they happened, they were dying of AIDS, most likely. Yeah, I mean, I remember that, like the first one that I kind of remember that was like on that that everybody was talking about was Kiss Me Guido, which came out in like the late nineties, and then it's yeah. like then we get Will and Grace, and then it's like nothing, you know. I don't know. It's just like I feel like we've come. We've come a ways. I mean, this is like... Speaking of Will and Grace, oh my God. The Deborah Messing stuff was so good. (laughs) It was so fucking good, man. It was so fucking good. I was hoping like there would be a scene of like the... You know, because he was singing like the the Patrick Swayze Dirty Dancing song. It was like the She's Like the Wind song in the... Yes. I was hoping at the end that fucking Aaron would try to hold him up. I got the I got the chill seeing Harvey Firestein again too. I hadn't seen him in so long. He I know, so great. Yeah, I hadn't seen him in forever. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, Joe, oh what'd you think what about a, what an icon? What'd you think about Bros? Oh, dude, I loved this movie. It was so funny. There was hardly anybody in my auditorium either. I think it was me and maybe maybe six other people, if if that. In in. It was me and this other lady that was clear on the far side of the auditorium that were really dying at this movie. I mean, I if it wouldn't have been for her, I'd have been the only one laughing in this auditorium, or at least the only one like really loudly laughing in this auditorium. This movie absolutely worked for me. Um, I loved the level of satire that was in it. The way that they had things that were very close to the 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 way that we know they're named in the real world. Like wasn't it what were the the Hallmark movies was it like Hall, Hall Heart? Heart. Yeah. <laughs> like all those little names that were close to it were were really really funny and you're right man the way that they portrayed the gay sex scenes in this were so funny the way that they had them cut and and just the way that that they really tackled this this idea in this movie that it's like, no gay relationships are different, but the way that they show that they're different in this movie, it still absolutely works for the rom-com like formula because this movie more or less follows that same formula that a lot of rom-coms do, but the route that it takes to get there makes this movie very unique. And the way that it, that it gives the history of, of gay rights and the way that, the way that um, the main character has that moment where where he's having to say, you know, look, I've I've had to, you know, hide myself before, or try and be less or diminish myself, and I'm not going to do that. You know, this is who I am, and I have a right to exist, and people have a right to know about these things, and that's what makes this museum so important. And I just loved how multi layered these characters were, and while at the same time being a rom com and absolutely working as a rom com, and and like what you said, Jake, about, you know, if the only thing holding you back from going and seeing this is that you, that it's like, oh, it's it's a gay thing. It's like, no, absolutely get over yourself. Um, this is it's it's a rom-com. If you like rom-coms, if you like to laugh, 
go watch this movie. And and if you think on some level that it's going to make you uncomfortable, then it's even more important for you to go and see this movie and have a laugh at it. And then maybe you can even have a laugh at yourself along the way because hopefully you learn something. Um, but this is a good movie and it is an important one. And and I've it's been bumming me out seeing that it's not you know, being super successful in the box office because by all rights, it should, because it is a very good, very funny, entertaining movie. It's an absolute Tupperware for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I might, I, I, I might go see this one again because it, it just made me laugh and I don't know. It just yeah, made I could, me laugh so I could much. talk about different scenes of this movie for like two hours. Sure. Like it, it was so good. Like that dinner scene was so hilarious, but like awkwardly uncomfortable where, which is what the, with his family for the first time. Oh, yes. oh the mother. Oh, my. The mother was Marcy from Married with Children. Yes, from Married with yes. Children. And she was one of the she's one of the first uh not one of the maybe I don't know. She she came out after the show, right? Yes. Yeah, so after Married with Children was off the air, she came out. And so it was nice to see that he cast a lot of, you know, LGBTQ+ actors in the movie and it made it it made it that much more special. Uh, the the museum where they had like the 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 almost like the 3D Hall of Presidents with all the different like gay icons <laughs> and lesbian icons. It was so great. I loved it. <laughs> so Amy Schumer and Ben Stiller, Night of the Museum, oh, Keenan Thomas. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. It was so funny. So, just a, it was a very important movie. Um, I mean, because you look at a lot of comedies and it's like. You know, you watch them and it's like, oh, that was a funny comedy. Um, but it's not important. This one's important. Right? So, yeah. This, no, this, I agree. I think it'll be put on that pedestal, too. I, I think 10 years from now, this movie will absolutely be a cult classic. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Pave the way for, for much more great stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about... Uh, can, can we break? I knew it. That's fine. I want to break too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of want a permanent break. <laughs> Isn't that an Aerosmith album? Permanent break? Permanent vacation. Okay. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. Let's take our Aerosmith break. We'll be right back. <laughs> I sound like Morgan Freeman. I bet most of you do some online shopping with Amazon. It's just so easy. I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No, I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis and shitting your body weight and Dan and yogurt, and the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, holy shit, that freckled face fucker was right. Anyway, the whole point of this is to tell you that popcultureleftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. It's easy and convenient, just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth. All right, hey, we're back. And, uh, yeah, uh, let's 
Yeah, I think it's a good. Yeah, let me. We're not gonna have a next. We're not gonna have an episode next week. I, <laughs> I am, after <laughs> after this one, I think that uh, the listeners need a break from me, and I need a break from this. Uh, no, I just <laughs> we all around need. A, everyone needs a break. I need a fucking break. I need a fucking break. I've just, I've just got a lot. I've got a lot going on right now, guys, and so I need to take a break next week. And hopefully, I'll come back and be refreshed. But uh, so, no new episode next week. But uh, let's finish up good pop, bad pop. With uh, we got a few more things to talk about here. Uh, significant other. This dropped on Paramount Plus. Uh, sinister events plague a young couple when they take a backpacking trip through the forests of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it's got uh, co-writers and directors Robert Olson and Dan Burke on this, and it stars uh, Micah Monroe from It Follows, and she was most recently in The Watcher, as well as uh, Jake Lacey, who was most recently in The White Lotus. I've been a fan of this guy since he did a very small show that not a lot of people watched, Billy and Billy, but I enjoy Jake Lacey quite a bit. Um, sorry, I got a cat over here making this episode is fucking crap, Jake. This episode, I can't normally. I this is where I defend it. Yeah, I, I, I've got nothing. This is trash. <laughs> I should just end this fucker now. Fucking yeah, just let's just jump to Black Panther trailer and go home. <laughs> I don't. I'm not even talking about the Black Panther trailer this week. That's how. That's jeez. Oh, then we're then we're done. Let me look at this list. <laughs> Uh, yeah we covered all the big things yeah this thing sucked right did you like this thing i didn't like it this was absolute trash oh you liked it joe i thought the first half was very intriguing and like i was starting to get into it and then like i know we usually don't say things take turns but i'm gonna the second half of this took a wackadoo turn that just like i could not get into like it was like a suspenseful movie that all of a sudden was trying to be funny and I was not here for it. Dude, that part made me scratch my head as well. And I totally agree with you. The first half of this movie, I was like a hundred percent in, I was like, this is so freaky. It's just this couple that's backpacking out in the woods together. The, the, the guy, per, um, Jake Lacey, he proposes the girl freaks out about it. She like has a full on panic attack. She is, not into commitment. And then there is this thing that, that happens in this where I'm, I was with you for maybe about five or 10 minutes after that. I was like, fuck this movie. I I can't believe it did this. This is so off the wall weird. But then as it kept going, it, it got me back. And by the end of the movie, it reeled me in. And for me, I was like, this, this was a high taste. It, I, I really liked it. I could see myself watching it again. But when I was describing it to my wife, who loves thrillers, like thrillers and horrors and stuff, that's her main genre. And when I was explaining it to her and like told her the nature of the twist, she was immediately in you guys' camp. She was like, oh, fuck that. No, I never want to watch that with you. But I don't know. It, it we don't know what me. Brian thought yet. Well, I guess he didn't like it either. <laughs> yeah, it worked. this was a, a high taste it for me. I would go back and watch this again. And and also, I love Jake Lacey. I'm right there with you, Brian. He, his performance in White Lotus was so good. This guy is such a good actor. And and really, the the roles that like the role that he played in White Lotus is is kind of similar to the role he's playing in this, where he's like almost kind of like an overbearing boyfriend type 
character. And like, he just fits that role so perfectly. And like, he's so convincing in it. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just loved this movie. I, I liked the, the score for it, the background, the, the place where the setting in this and everything. It, uh, it absolutely worked for me. No, I should have loved this movie. I love Micah Monroe. I mean, she was great in It Follows. She's great in The Watcher. I think she's fantastic. I love Jake Lacey. It's just that it felt like a different movie at a certain point. And I was like, what is this movie trying to be? So you've got this at the beginning. There's like this shooting star that that you see it falling and then... I don't know. How much do we want to get into this fucking movie? I don't think we should spoil it, I guess. I mean, I we've said enough. There's a twist. It changes the atmosphere of this movie completely, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I think telling the twist is is everything. If we all would have tossed it, I would say fuck it. But Joe's given it a high taste it, so we should let people decide for themselves. Yeah, I'm at a low taste it on this one, so... I mean, it, it wasn't the worst thing that I've ever watched. Um, it was bearable because of the performances of the two leads. It's just, I think, some of the writing. So It's been a long time since a twist like made me mad. Like, And I, I was really digging this movie. It ended up being a toss-it for me, just based on what happens in the second half. And yeah, I, I thought the, the first act was so good. I love the it's an awkward relationship and dealing with all that amongst all this spooky stuff. But the, the point of what that was setting up was, oof, hurt my brain. <laughs> it's, it's a really fair concession. I'll give you that. Let's jump into uh, the, the new series. It's on AMC. Is it, is it just on AMC plus or is it uh, AMC as well? I would say just I don't know how what they can show on AMC these days, but the nudity and violence and swearing made me think it was only AMC plus. Yeah. Yeah, it's Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. In the year twenty twenty two, the vampire Louis de Pont du Lac lives in Dubai and seeks to tell the story of his life or afterlife to renowned journalist Daniel Malloy. Beginning in the early 20th century, New Orleans, Louis's story follows his relationship with the vampire Lestat and their formed family, including teen fledgling Claudia. Together, the vampire family endures immortality in New Orleans and beyond. As the interview continues in Dubai, Malloy discovers the truths beneath Louis's story. Uh, the cast features Jacob Anderson. He played uh, Grey Worm in Game of Thrones as the brooding Louis and Sam Reed. Um, as uh, Lestat, and uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, um, I fucking I fucking love this. I did not think I was gonna like this at all, and I fucking loved it. I liked the changes that they made with the story. With uh, yeah, I'll just get this out there. It's uh, now you've got. Uh, a homosexual interracial relationship between Louis and Lestat, and I think it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I thought wasn't it was... that always there in the book? I was yes. it. Was it okay? It wasn't in yes, the movie. Hundred percent. No, mean, no, dude, no, 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 no. Anne Rice too... vampire novels take the homoeroticism knob and turn it up to eleven. And this series perfectly captured that. Well, I've yeah, never, I've never read I'm the book. Joe. Never read the book, so um, I'm just basing this off the '94 film. And, uh, 
But yeah, I fucking loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I I I think the uh I like how the the journalist that you meet, you meet him as an older man and he had interviewed him back in the 70s and now they're following up on that interview and uh we're getting like the full story and they're going back and I I hope this leads all the way up to the 1970s and we get to see like you know the journalist as a, as a young man. I hope we get to see that that side of it as well. Um, but I was blown away by this fucking first episode. I thought this was a great pilot episode. I thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah, what did you guys think, uh, Joe? What did you think about this? Yeah, I was I was really looking forward to this as soon as I heard that they were doing a a, a TV series adaptation of Interview with the Vampire. I was in. Um, when, when this first movie came out, it was my introduction to, to Anne Rice's vampire books. And, and after watching that movie, I think it came out when I was in like maybe middle school and I was just, I think that was the thing that really opened up my, my interest in vampires was, was Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. And then the, the following books, the vampire Lestat and the queen of the damned, they're just such good books, such an amazing, such amazing characters. And and this series is it's it's odd to me that they're titling it Anne Rice's interview with the vampire because this isn't Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. This is based on it, and it is they're 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 they didn't want to just rehash what they did in in the movie with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. They wanted to do something different and modernize it, and so they did make some 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 key differences in this. With it, they brought it up to the modern age. They 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 made it so that they had this interview before in the 70s, kind of similar to what happened in the book. But then it's different because in the book, after the, that interview is over, the interviewer takes those tapes, he transcribes them out, and he actually releases a book called Interview with the Vampire. That In the book Interview with the Vampire, there is a book called Interview with the Vampire that, that Lestat en- ends up reading in the, in the follow-up book. And so he... Here's this whole story from Louis's point of view. Now, as these Anne Rice books go on, Lestat becomes the main character. He becomes your hero, and he's not really the hero in the first one. And if you've seen that first movie, you can see the way that Tom Cruise portrays the character in that. He does not come off as the hero. And so this series is its kind of reconciling that. Instead of it just being fully from Louis's point of view and only portraying Louis as the hero and Lestat as the villain, this is giving you a more fleshed out version of what their relationship was because they did very much have a relationship. Um, Anne Rice's vampire books, her, her vampires, they're not like, they're not like the ones in true blood that are going around having sex and stuff like that, but they are very, I mean, they are very like romanticized kind of somewhat sexual creatures, but you don't see too much sex type stuff in the books. Would you think, say that's a fair comparison, Jake? Um, I thought the sex got stronger each book. Yeah, that's def- because def- I, when I think back, I, the first things I think of are some of the wackier sex scenes in these books, <laughs> especially by the time you get to like the vampire Armand, which, um, but like, so in, in this story, in this telling of this story, this journalist didn't take those tapes with him. Louis actually took the tapes with him. And then years later, after this journalist is more successful, 
those tapes show up in his mailbox. And so along with this invitation to come to Dubai and let's redo the interview. And, and Louis basically telling him that, yeah, there's parts of that story that I told you in the seventies. That's total bullshit. And I'm going to tell you the real story now. And, and dude, this, this was an amazing pilot. I mean, it was, is very good. I was chomping at the bit all week, just hoping that episode two was going to drop early as it is. It's scheduled to drop tomorrow and I will absolutely be watching it. This first episode was a Tupperware for me. Um, I, I love being back in this world and I'm absolutely delighted that they're taking these little differences because as a book reader, it's, it's, it's putting me on shaky ground now where it's like, I don't a hundred percent know what's going to happen. I imagine they're going to follow a lot of the same beats just going off of trailers that I've seen uh, from what's coming up in this season. Uh, but but I'm really excited about it because the whole story that's told in Interview with the Vampire between Louis and Lestat and Claudia and everything, it's it's a really awesome story. And to hear or to, to be able to see it stretched out in, in a TV series instead of just condensed down to a movie is just terrific. And the, the production on this is amazing, in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. you know, look, Agreed. Was it the early? Is it like the twenties that we're seeing? Yeah, this? it's yeah, it's like the 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 nineteen teens. Yeah, it, it it looks fantastic. They put a lot of money into this, and uh, I think both actors that are playing the leads here are fantastic. I, I wasn't so sure when he was starting the interview out, but like once we d- dove into like the the period piece of it all, and we got to see these two on screen together, and I was just like, who, I, it's hard to follow in the, you know, the, I think Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise are a hard act to follow, and these guys are doing a great job, especially the guy that's doing Lestat. I was like, yes, because that's a, that's a tough role to play. I, I think Cruise fucking killed it, and I was like, man, this guy's got his work cut out for him. And man, he's a great Lestat, and and some of like the the you know we see some of like the the vampire, uh, uh, I, I guess we call it vampire magic that they use. You know, like the way he kind of like at the card table kind of like pauses time and and can speak to Louis in his head and all that shit. I was like, man, this is really fucking good. This is and they, this is really good. I'm enjoying this quite a bit. Um, yeah, Joe, they dropped that first episode early on Friday, and I was like, mm-hmm. shit, man, maybe they'll drop the second second episode early. <laughs> I was I was hoping, too. I was like, I'd really love to come into this episode yeah. of PCL and be able to talk about how much I loved the second episode, too. I know. <laughs> I, I went back today, uh, and uh, I was like, you know what? Uh, let me see if that second episode's up. And uh, it wasn't up. And so I was just like, ah, fuck it. I'll watch the first episode again. And I started watching it again. There you go. Because it was so good. It's a, it's a Tupperware. Absolute Tupperware. Jake, what would you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. This was absolutely amazing. I I thought I was going to hate this. Um, I'm a big fan of those first three or four books. I read the Armand prequel. loved the original movie. Uh, I was just like, ah, do we need this? Do we need this? And I guess the answer is we do. Um, yeah, I thought it was just a really interesting, tactful way to change the story but yet somehow be even more fateful than the movie was like, that was just so weird to me. Like on, on one hand, some of the stuff is, is more fateful. You like, it's a TV show. So you have a time to build that relationship between Louis and Lestat before the, the turning happens that the movie just kind of had to fast forward to and like get to the meat of it. But 
I thought it really paid off for the characters and the chemistry and the dynamics of what's going to come later to really spend time with these two characters becoming the friends that they become before everything takes a takes a big dark turn. And yeah, I was scared by the casting too. I mean, you know, we all know Grey Worm was kind of famous for being vanilla and boring and emotionless. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is who they cast for Louie? And yeah, apparently he's a great actor because he instantly turned on that Louie charm for me. And I agree with the Lestat stuff too. I mean, that is so hard to do. You got to be both extremely charming and turn the switch and be extremely scary. And that's, that's not an easy task for an actor. Um, I loved all the changes they made by making Louis a black character and the stuff that they added that wasn't in the book dealing with him and his family and just his existence in new Orleans under those constraints. I thought that was really like, it didn't punch you in the face with that kind of stuff, but it was very interesting and, and very emotional as well. And, um, yeah, I, I gasped at the stuff with his brother and how that turned out. Yeah, I I loved this. This was great. It was like just enough of the source material that it made me feel comfortable, but just enough different that I was on the edge of my seat, not knowing what was going to happen next. I This is one of like the best remakes I've seen in a long time. Yeah, we're only one episode in. I like how, you know, like if you have questions about like, why did a character... Why did you, well, why did you act that way in that moment? Like, they'll cut to the interview and have the interviewer ask him, like, you know, why did you act that way? You know, like, you'll get those answers in the interview. And I think that that's kind of brilliant, too. It kind of gets us into the mind of this character. And we get to see, like, where he's come from and how much he's changed. But we're going to watch his journey as a vampire, as a fresh vampire. yeah, I didn't even get to the interview stuff on my notes. That was super brilliant, too. Like, I... You know, it would have been weird to have a flashback leading into a flashback and the way they moved it all to 2022 and how now it's a second interview, I thought was a very smart choice, too. Like on paper, I think I would have rolled my eyes at that. But the execution was so good that I was was just all about it. Do you think that? Okay, because we find out that, you know, the interviewer is also a gay man. Do you think that he had some sort of like relationship with louis at one time because they met in a gay club he said yeah i don't i, I don't just there to score like score drugs yeah i i don't know maybe because he was like very like joe's saying like he was out there like kind of downward spiraling so i mean maybe they did do a bunch of drugs and have intercourse for all i know yeah i don't know i was just curious i'm not saying that it did or didn't happen but he does I don't know. There just seems like to be some like there, there's definitely something uh, beneath the surface of that relationship that that we don't know. They you know, I mean, we get to listen to part of that tape where they're yelling at each other and he attacks him at one point in time. It just felt like it got very personal there. So we'll see what happens in the series. But I give it a Tupperware and I can't wait for the second episode. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious how far they go with this. Are we going to do the entire first book in the first season? Uh, they like, I, I have said no idea. that uh, the series will follow Louis' story and how he went. Uh, I don't know. Maybe see Armand. Yeah, Are I don't get that far. I really I don't know. I don't know. 
Do you remember Armand from the original movie? He was Antonio yeah. Banderas' oh, character. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite character in the whole mythology. That's one of my he's favorite. Awesome. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I think it's fantastic. Kirsten Dunst was amazing as the when she was a child actor in that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, it's got so it's good. got an incredible score also. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how far they're going to go into the in, into this, Jake. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and I'm fine. I'm fine with them taking their time and like maybe it taking two seasons to do uh, to do justice to the first book. But yeah, I hope it's a success, and I hope we get more. Yeah. Uh, let's see here, facing Nolan. Uh, this is a, it's a Nolan Ryan documentary. The uh, picture. Nolan Ryan's numbers tell a story, but numbers alone do not re, uh, do not capture his essence. Flashpoints have emblazoned him onto our subconscious, like. Pitching with his jersey covered in blood, running a cattle ranch during the offseason, the iconic, the iconic brawl where Ryan walloped the 20 years younger Robin Ventura. Despite mythical moments and statistical brilliance, Ryan's career is a study in extremes. Not only does he hold the record for most walks and most wild pitches, but he has also given up the most grand slams and the most stolen bases. Many of today's baseball and analysts do not consider him to be among the greats, but with all this in mind, where does Ryan fit in the ever-evolving game of baseball? And um, yeah, I liked this. I think this guy had like an incredible. Like how how did he play, how long did he play? Twenty seven years. Yes. I insane. Mean, yeah, like <laughs> it's an insane. He played from sixty six to like what was it? Sixty six to ninety three. Yeah, 27 years in 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 baseball. I mean, which is insane. Guy had like seven no-hitters over the course of his of his career. Um he was 44 years old when he threw his last no-hitter. Guy has an incredible life. I think like <laughs> I think I think that he's just so as far as as far as the documentary portrays him, he's just such a like good old boy, you know, like he's got, he's just got a squeaky clean life. Like there's no, I'm so used to watching these documentaries and then having something fucked up with about them. Right. You know, like, yeah. Oh, now we're going to get into like the drug years or, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> now we're going to get into like the, the time in his life where he was like not faithful to his wife, but like this guy's like a fucking boy scout. And I, and I'm not trying to say like, that's not why I you know, that's a reason not to like this. It's just like, that's who this guy was. I just don't think it's that, like, um, I just don't, I don't know. I, I liked it. I, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a taste it because I did like it, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't as exciting. The way that it was laid out just wasn't as exciting for me. I, I did like it when they did show like the fight that he got in with the younger guy. I like the the you know Bo Jackson hitting him with the baseball and and all that stuff and the bloody jersey and all that stuff and you know it was exciting you know for a guy like him doing all those no hitters and and being able to surpass like some of the guys that he idolized. But on the flip side, it's like you know some of it was kind of fucking boring. Just like the game of baseball, yeah, yeah, in my dude, opinion. Get, get involved in some scandals or something. Come on. No, it's you got to tell the guy's <laughs> life the way it was. But, I mean, because there weren't any of these scandals and stuff like that, it was, 
you know, I, I watch it and I'm just, I'm impressed by the guy's life. I'm impressed by his career, but the documentary didn't blow me the fuck away. Like, oh my God, wow. Um, it was okay. I'm going to give it a taste it. And uh, I think, yeah, the guy, Nolan Ryan seems like a nice guy. I, I don't really care about baseball, to be quite honest with you. I used to play when I was a kid, just never been a fan of watching it. I, I don't even like to go to baseball games live. They just kind of like bored me. So um, loved playing the game. I loved being out, um, you know, out, outside and playing the game and, you know, I was, uh, I've played every position. I was mostly a first baseman and, uh, when I first started. Then I went to third, and I even done some pitching back in the day. But um, just, I don't know. Just I, I, I prefer basketball documentaries, man. And uh, I suck at basketball, but I love basketball documentaries. This is okay. It's a taste. It, Joe, what'd you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you, dude. I, I thought it was kind of boring. I, I had not considered that maybe this would be more exciting if he'd had more scandals in his life but but that sort of that sort of salacious content does make documentaries like this that much more riveting and this guy did have a very squeaky clean life um i i followed baseball a bit when i was a kid and so like if i were to go out and go through all my old baseball cards i'm sure i could find a handful of nolan ryan cards from from the early 90s back when i collected cards um, so I was definitely familiar with him as a player and, you know, I, I played baseball when I was a kid and, and followed it and stuff. And then when I got older, I just kind of grew away from sports, but baseball was one of those ones that I did watch. And so I was familiar with who Nolan Ryan was and that, you know, the guy was a, a powerhouse of a pitcher. And mostly I thought this documentary was, I didn't really like the narrator, the narrator, just his style. Oh my God. Speech. I thought I was watching an episode of Dukes of Hazard the entire Thank fucking you. time. Dude, I know because it was like, Oh, I'll tell you old Noli. He was on a streak, just hotter than a tin roof in July. Like, yeah. Get the fuck out of here with this looks like that. Nolan boy. Ryan's got himself in a heap of trouble. Let's see. if. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you are making this for more than just the state of Texas. Come on, I know that he's huge in Texas, and this documentary is probably going to be going big there, but it's like the style of narration on this, it just kept making me roll my eyes. And and I'm glad I wasn't the only one. <laughs> no, that was, uh, oh God, that narrator. I, I wrote that actually down in my notes. That I the, Actually, here's what I wrote in my notes. Glad they got the narrator from Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> well just the way that this documentary opens with that i right away out loud i went oh no i'm gonna have to listen to the fucking two hours of this guy and yeah, and yeah it, was, it was just a taste it for me i'm i'm used to you've had me watch so many basketball ones now and the basketball ones are always so good yeah in, in this one and what was the one of the last ones we did the John McEnroe one also so it's like the last couple ones I've watched have kind of been a bit of a snooze fest yeah and we just need to stick to basketball documentaries <laughs> I think you're right yeah, no <laughs> shit yeah Jake what'd you think about uh facing Nolan yeah it's a taste at party like it's hard to just outright hate this thing like it was interesting like it is like cool that all the stuff he accomplished um I thought one of the more interesting moments was seeing that he was doing freaking television ads right after he won the world series like what a different time it was then 
Um, I like that he kind of broke down the pay barriers for baseball players and all that stuff was kind of fascinating. But yeah, I, the, it was just so squeaky clean, probably 30 minutes too long. The narrator was super annoying. I hate the device where I see it so many times in documentaries these days where it's like, you may be thinking it's weird that we're starting at this point. Well, let's rewind. And then like, they physically rewind the tape. And like, I roll my eyes at that every time now. Like, that is not clever anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Nolan Ryan, you definitely should check this out. Um, if you're not a fan, I don't think this is anything that's going to make you a diehard Nolan Ryan fan. You, you may earn some respect for the guy. Um, and just on another note, I found this a little bit depressing just for myself. Like this guy was 44 pitches his last pitch, same age as me. He's apexed. He's peaked. I'm like, eh, I suck. <laughs> yeah, no shit, man. What a fucking downer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, man. It's like, we're half dead, Jake. <laughs> yeah. When they said how old he was and they were just talking about like, oh, it's amazing that this old geezer can still play baseball. I'm just like, oh, boy. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's us. That's us. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't fucking break any baseball records. What do I got? Oh, fuck. Yeah, no shit. We haven't done shit. <laughs> Especially this up, this fucking episode. Oh my god! <laughs> no shit. They're gonna leave this one out of the dock. We're gonna get like one of those Bohemian Rhapsody style docks where it's all peaches and roses. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about uh, Mr. Harrigan's phone. This dropped on Netflix. Uh, Craig, a young boy, befriends the elderly billionaire John Harrigan. Craig then gives him a mobile phone. However, when the man dies, Craig discovers that he can communicate with his friend from the grave. It's written and directed by John Lee Hancock. It is based on the novella of the same name by Stephen King from the collection If It Bleeds. Uh, the film stars Donald Sutherland, Jaden Martel, Martell, uh, Joe Tippett, and Kirby Howell Baptiste. And um, yeah, Jake, you, you wanted to add this one to the list. What did you think about uh, Mr. Harrigan's phone? Yeah, I was really excited to see this, but at the end of the day, it kind of let me down. It's it's a middle-of-the-road taste it for me. Uh, it, it's a very emotional type of horror movie. I don't know. I just don't think this writer gets how you write Stephen King characters. And I also think Stephen King himself struggles when he makes modern technology part of any of his storylines. And I thought there was a little bit of that going on here. Um this is a, one of the source materials. I have not read this novella or If It Bleeds. It's on my list of to-dos, but I have not yet, so I can't really answer to that. But I don't know. I, I just didn't think for a movie as long as it was, there was very little character development, honestly. It was just like, here's the facts. And I thought when something bad happens to someone he knows it was very much just the facts and didn't come as like an emotional shock or like pull for me um i thought the ending was kind of weak again i don't know if that was the film ending and the book ending or just the film ending but i was a little bit meh on the ending uh the message is very interesting um you know i did think about it a lot it's like you know would you do something so easy to get revenge and would you be okay with that kind of message and, and 
I've definitely thought about it since watching the movie. So it, it did stick with me a little bit, like it steams after watching it. But I don't know. It was it was kind of a dull, dreary, 30 minute too long movie that I, I wish would have been better. Yeah, I did not like this. Uh, I, I kept thinking like this is like it's based on a short story. This should have been a short. This should have been a short. I mean, if they wanted to do this, have like uh, um, a series called If It Bleeds and then just do shorts for like, you know, a Stephen King kind of like anthology, you know, thing on Netflix. But making this like a two hour movie or however long it was just did not work. It just went on too long. And I just I didn't care. I didn't really like it. It's a low taste it for me. I thought the lead sucked too. He was like a Finn Wolfhard wannabe and just not very good. And Donald Sutherland, he might have been really dying on set. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> What'd you think, Joe? Dude, I wanted to like this one w- way more than I did. Um, th- this movie's very meh, like from just beginning to end. I thought it had a lot of promise and then it just failed to deliver on it. It was like every time something was going, like you think something spooky is going to happen. It just does not happen at a level that you want it to. And it, it's it's like every time this movie needed to go three or four steps to really do its job, it, it stopped at like two steps in. And then when the movie ended, it was like as it was about to cut to credits in my head, I'm like, this is the point where it's going to cut to credits. But then the other voice in my head is going, but nothing's fucking happened yet. And then it cuts to credits, and I'm like, well, I guess that's the movie we got. And at the end of the day, it just doesn't doesn't go as far as it needs to for this. Like the the bit that you're saying, Jake, that it explores this idea that, you know, if if getting revenge was as simple as just placing a phone call and saying, Mr. Harrington, so and so wronged me and I need I need you to make this right, you know, would you do that? And and in the instances that that this kid uses it in the movie, and then like sits and like like gets all emo about it afterwards it's like dude own your choice the person was a piece of shit and they needed to go thank mr harrington and move on but i i just wish they would have actually gone farther and even if that didn't happen in the short story make it happen in the movie because the movie as was was just fucking dull it was a it was a low taste it for me as well i don't see myself going back and watching it again Oh God! Very no. unfortunate. I'm sorry. I, I felt bad after watching this for asking if we could watch this. I was like, oh, oh Lord! I was curious about that after I watched it, and it was such a miss. I was like, well, I wonder if Jake regrets putting this on the list. I did. I did. I, I thought the bully was terrible too. It was almost a parody of previous Stephen King bully characters. Absolutely. It was, it was like Henry Bowers light. Yeah, I was not a fan of this movie. Let's take a quick break here real quick. I got I got cats going nuts over here. This episode is just a fucking, it's a turd. It's almost as bad as this Mr. Harrigan's phone, which was just a fucking two-hour long fucking Apple phone commercial. Let's, so we'll be right back.
right, hey, we are back. All we have, all we have left is news, Marvel news, and DC news, and then we're out of here. And I'm sure our listeners are are ready for that. Um, <laughs> or, or is that yeah. just let's go fucking ludicrous speed? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, it's time for the pop culture leftovers news. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a leftover news, and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangster as fuck, yo. It's gangster as fuck, yo. Yeah, this week Todd McFarlane was teasing some Spawn movie news, and then he's like, "Ah, oh, you're gonna get it." And then the next day he's like, "Nope, can't give it to you today. It'll come tomorrow." And then finally, he dropped a video on Twitter. I'm going to, going to go ahead and play that here real quick. Hopefully, this comes through. Buddy Todd McFarland here. News just broke the update. We've added some big A-list names out of Hollywood to the Spawn team. Let's go through it. Here's the big news today. Scott Silver, the writer of The Joker. Also, a couple of my favorite films, 8 Mile and The Fighter. Scott Silver, The Joker, biggest R-rated movie of all time, on board. Malcolm Spellman, he did Falcon and the Winter Soldier for Disney Plus and is currently writing the Captain America movie. He's on board. And Matt Nixon, who's bringing his voice to this project, along with Jamie Foxx, Jason Blum, already attached. It's just going to keep going. Next big news we drop... Beginning next year, hopefully we'll be able to come and bring you the news that it's in production, we've made the deal, and it's coming. Just wanted to share some of the super talent that has been added to this team. Here we go. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks, Matt, for jumping in and trusting my character with you and your skill. Let's go. Buddy Todd. All right, so, yeah, a couple things here real quick. Uh, We do know that... I mean, he's still, he's still, Todd McFarlane's still uh, signed on to direct this movie. I mean, that's one of the earliest reports. Nothing changed here. We just got some, just got a couple big writers announced. I think that those are good. Uh, I think those are great announcements. Uh, Jamie Foxx is apparently still on board with this. You know, Todd Silver from Joker. Uh, Malcolm Spellman from uh, Captain America. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think those are I think those are pretty damn good pickups for this movie, especially with it being an R-rated movie. Now, one thing that I and I want to get your guys' thoughts on that, but one thing that I did find interesting about this was no mention of Jeremy Renner, who was also at one time attached to this. Jeremy Renner was supposed to be another lead in this movie, and he left him out of this. Did he just forget, or is it, or is Renner out? So I found that interesting that that was still like, I don't know, is that up in the air? Um, I mean, this has been kind of like going on for a long time. Maybe Renner dropped out. I mean, I'm not sure. Do we? Do you guys know? Have you guys heard about Renner? I do not know. And I thought the same thing when I saw this. I, I think Todd McFarlane seems like he's on like eight cups of coffee during this. So it's very possible that he could have forgot. But I think the question is out there. Renner might not be attached anymore. Oh, absolutely. He had such a litany of names he listed off. It almost would seem like, you know, if Renner was on that list, his name would have come out. But, yeah, maybe maybe it was misplaced. Um, I, I could see him not being attached anymore. Hasn't he had 
some some controversy surrounding him? I mean, he's all uh, the past few years hasn't he had some shit? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I yeah, don't know. There's, a, there's a little bit of stuff going on with Jeremy Renner. Um, it doesn't seem like it's really hit the mass media or that he's ever been actually canceled in any way whatsoever. I mean, Marvel seems fine, perfectly fine working with them still and in the future. So I don't think anything that anything like that has anything to do with it. I think if he's gone, it's probably just scheduling money, normal stuff that happens when people leave projects. It looks like I mean, I'm, I'm actually looking at an article here from Cinema, Cinema Blend back in June of this year that's talking about like how. Renner signed on to the Spawn reboot. It's an, it's an article titled Vodka Helped the Spawn Reboot Sign Jeremy Renner. I don't know if he was drinking vodka and thought this would be a good idea or if it's uh, – that was a joke. Um, or <laughs> – fuck you. Um, <laughs> pity laughs. Fuck you. Uh, let's see here. I think it's like a vodka company. Um had something to do with it. These celebrities and their vodka companies. That seems to be one of the big things right now. Oh, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Everyone's selling booze. Yeah. It, doesn't rock sell like tequila? I think so. Yeah. Um, as, as far as I know, he's still attached. It doesn't say anything about him. I mean, they're just talking about him here. I just think it was interesting Todd left him out of that. Because like, that's a pretty big name to leave out so i don't know we talked about who he's playing was he going to be like one of the detectives or something i think so but i i I don't know if they've ever officially come out and say that and that's playing twitch williams oh he's playing twitch so he's yeah that's that's great for him that like hard-boiled crime detective character i think he'd be good for that if he is still in it yeah so, no, what do you guys think about the the writing team? I think it's I think it's shaping up. I mean, if this movie does start, you know, filming next year, I think it's shaping up pretty good here. It's just uh man, this has been a long a long Yeah, yeah, it's nothing to complain about here. I mean, those are big names. Like, you know, he's touting the movies that they and shows they've been involved with and rightfully so. Those are those are big time big time movies and big time shows. It's not like he got like the writer of Ryan Reynolds, Green Lantern or Wolverine origin or something, you know, like, yeah, th- this should get you excited. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope it's going to happen. This would be such a great IP to see revisited on the screen. And, and if they've got a good production staff and good creative team behind it, then dude, this could be a really, really awesome thing. And, you know, whether, whether Renner's going to be in it or not, I, I hope this eventually gets made. At this point, I think we've been hearing about this news of this Jamie Foxx Spawn movie for like four years now. So I, I hope it does eventually get out of, you know, development hell and, and actually start filming because this would be something I would be really excited to see. One of the things we were kind of, we were – no, go ahead, Jake. I was just saying, McFarlane's been talking about this R-rated Spawn reboot since I was a teenager. It's been 25 years now. Like I – I remember being at a comic convention and him him comparing the idea to like a modern day seven, but as a superhero movie. And, and this is definitely a passion project of Todd. And he's been he's been hyping it for a long time. I think he's a fucking bulldozer and he's going to get this made one way or another. 
one of those things we were kind of worried about is like, you know, it, it is a Blumhouse movie. Blumhouse typically has lower budgets. This is a Spawn movie. How much are they going to put into the budget? We've kind of seen these Blumhouse movies go from being $5 million productions up to 10. And I think most recently, The Black Phone, which was a Blumhouse movie, that had like a $16 million budget. So I think this could maybe be the Blumhouse movie that jumps maybe more into like the maybe into the $20 million range, maybe even more. I don't know. I just can't see them. I mean, I bet this isn't a very special effects heavy movie, though. I think the plan is to do really film noir and it will have special effects. But I don't think I mean, that's what was wrong with the original Spawn movie is it tried to be best effects of the time type of bullshit. I don't think that's what they're going for here I, at I, all. I agree. No, l- listen, listen. I, I, I'm not saying this is going to be a special uh, special effects, you know, extravaganza. I'm just – and there's a way to do this without the – I mean, you remember what was it like? It was like – I can't remember. It was like that Norwegian Spawn fan film that came out a few years ago that was fucking awesome, by the way. I remember. I remember. And, I get what you're saying. You need to change popping out to not look cheesy. So, I mean, I think that they can put a little bit more money into this. I think the budget's been raising on these Blumhouse movies for some time now. And I think with a name like Spawn, I think that that I think that that can garner, you know, some butts and seats, people curious to see this. And and, and these Blumhouse movies typically make their money back. I I mean, they for for what their budgets are, like these movies are very profitable and uh I think they might put a little bit more money into this. Do I think it's going to be like a $50 million movie? No, but I think they can put a little bit more into this movie than this, even the $16 million that we saw on the black phone. I mean, especially with like Jamie Foxx being in the movie, unless he's willing to take a pay cut. Reiner being in this movie, you know, with him, maybe. I don't know. I don't think that they're going to be taking huge pay cuts to do this, to be quite honest with you. But. I've always kind of smelled that this was a little bit of a passion project for Jamie Foxx, though. Like, I feel like he, he's never not been attached. Like, it definitely feels like, I don't know, I bet he's not making the most he's ever made for this movie. Oh, probably not. I th- I'm sure Netflix paid him more handsomely than what this is going to pay him. But on the flip side, he gets to play an iconic character. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I bet he's very familiar. He's like that age. Where Spawn had to be an important character for him. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with the Spawn movie. I hope it does start filming next year. I really, I you know, I love Todd, and I'd love to see this movie be a fucking hit. And, um, yeah, I hope it's great. Um, yeah, t- Todd's the greatest. I hope this is fucking awesome. Malcolm Spellman said in a statement, Myself, Matt Mixon, and Scott Silver are pledged to honoring what Todd started. What Spawn is at its core, delivering something that's relevant and edgy and unlike any other superhero movie out there. So, yeah, hopefully these, these guys are committed to, to writing a great movie. And hopefully Todd has the right people around him. Because, um, like, this is, a, you know, directing a movie. I mean, with it being his first movie, he's just, he's, he's, he's a comic book artist. And, you know, he's a storyteller, but directing, this is... I mean, and with with yeah, it having man, he's a fucking bulldozer like I, I I think he can if he 
he gets so determined, I think he can make anything happen. What I'm, what I'm getting at is what I'm worried about is like with him being so passionate about this and wanting to get everything right, I hope he just doesn't go over budget. Oh, yeah, like triples the budget. <laughs> yeah, just because it's like, oh, we got to get this right. We got to get this right. And it's like we've been on this one scene for fucking, you know, days now. We got to move, you know. It's like I don't know if – you know, it'll be interesting to see like him as a director and can he move this project along. Yeah, I'd love to learn more like after this movie comes out just about his process of becoming a director. Like has he been on a few sets? Like where do you – you can't really watch YouTube videos for that kind of thing. Like, how how do you pick that up? That's I want to know who his friends are and who yeah. his examples are. Yeah. Uh, news from comicbook.com. The Crow reboot reportedly wraps production. According to the Prague Reporter, the 10-week-long production on the Crow reboot starring uh, Bill Skarsgård has wrapped production in Prague. The twist, according to paperwork filed with the Czech Republic, Production was registered as a six-episode TV series rather than the feature film suggested in previous reports. If this was tr- if this is true, this would be the second TV adaptation of James O'Barr's beloved comic book, following The Crow: Stairway to Heaven, which ran in 1998 and 1999. And uh, so, yeah, they're saying it's uh, it was filed as a TV series, a six-episode TV series. That's interesting. I did not see that coming. Um, this is another fucking thing we've been waiting years and years and years on. I mean, at one time, um, I'm trying to think, Luke Evans was attached. I got cats fighting. God damn it. Could this fucking episode be any shittier? Come on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm pausing. All right, we're back. I've separated the cats the one cat is locked in the bedroom because he is terrorizing my other one and yeah this is fun for people to listen to people love this this is a fun fucking episode that people are a part of now jake this is oh yeah the most fun ever this is a i'm having a fucking blast jake you can hear it in your voice (laughs) you know what else i wish would rap production this fucking episode i'll tell you that much Jesus Christ, crow raps. I wish this fucking episode would rap. You know, people will be talking about this one. Hey, uh, do you remember the final episode of PCL that you ever listened to? Yeah, I do. It was episode 441. <laughs> Let's warp speed this new news. You read a story. Me and Joe will say one sentence. Oh, that's, say this is, yeah, this is story. fun. This is, that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm not a magic man. I can't make this fun. I'm just trying to make it over. <laughs> I can do that right now. Tell you what. <laughs> Tell you what. You know what? We're gonna fl- we're gonna fast because I am. I'm literally done. I am literally done this episode. Let's just jump to DC News and wrap this fucker because I am so fucking done. Do it. Last night. There we go. Um, <laughs> Grace Randolph was talking about uh, the Joker 2, and from her sources, she says, found out today Joker 2 is from Harley Quinn's perspective, a.k.a. Lady Gaga, and she is playing that character, and that's why it's a musical. That's how Harley sees things. So, 
It's an interesting rumor if it is true. I feel like she's not the first one to say that, though. I, and I could be wrong, though. You're probably right. I'm sure she she heard it from someone else. Um, I like that, though. Like, I, I want oh, there I know to be a do. reason why musical things are happening and not just that they are. So I, I like that it's plot driven that they're they're singing. I I still haven't watched the first one, and and I oh, don't right. know I don't know if I'll be going to see this this next one. Though the last time we talked about it, you guys made a pretty good argument for me to watch it, and I'm not going to lie, I'm intrigued to see what Lady Gaga would do as as Harley Quinn, and just knowing how serious and gritty the first movie is, all these reports of this second one that's going to be a musical, and now hearing from its its Harley's point of view. Is this going to be a drastically different movie? Can you guys imagine a, a world where the tone in that first Joker movie equals a musical and a sequel? If it's from her perspective, then, you know, I, I guess it makes sense. I think it. I think I, I'm 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 all for a tonal shift. I'm, not, I'm I'm all for seeing it from her perspective. I'm just I am down on the whole musical bit, but I guess that's why you get Lady Gaga. But it's like, that's not all she can do. I mean, you know, she did House of Gucci and, I mean, A Star is Born. She had the, the I don't know, man. I'm just not a musical guy. I, so I'm kind of down on this from the get-go. Yeah, yeah I don't from know. that I, angle. I think, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, from that angle, I'm right there with you, Brian. I tend to feel the same way about musicals, that when you're seeing them live, there's just a certain energy in the yes. room that it's just an entirely different experience. Yeah. And I don't like musicals enough to just sit and watch them on TV. It's like, if I'm going to have those goddamn songs stuck in my head for a month, at least it was a live show that put them there. <laughs> I mean, that's why, I mean, yeah, I, I love seeing a musical live. There's something about the energy and like the, the song and, 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 and like a live orchestra and all that shit in person. That's just amazing. Man, watching it on TV is a slog for me. I can't do it. I can't do it. So I hope this is good. And I, I, I hope, you know, the music, I think the only musical I like, I'm trying to think, is probably like Little Shop of Horrors because of the comedy aspect to it. And the songs were funny when I was a kid. But um, I hope the music is few and far between in this movie. I just I can't see myself. <laughs> I'm not going to be the guy like, oh, man, I'm listening to it on Spotify. I love it. No, that's not going to be me. I'm sorry. So, that might be me. That'll be you. That'll be you. A hundred percent. Even if you hated the movie, you're going to be like, oh, I've been listening to the songs on Spotify. And I love it. I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, Superman, let's talk, we talked about this last week, Superman showing up in uh, the Black Adam movie, and uh, sounds like more confirmation here. This movie comes out in about two weeks, and uh, My Time to Shine Hello says, yes, Henry Cavill, this is awesome, listen to this, yes, Henry Cavill is back, he has the classic suit with the Williams score, and he says, we need to talk, Black Adam, Cavill's suit looks like a, a lot like this one, and and he's showing a very kind of like um, classic bright blue, bright red Superman suit, and he says also the Williams theme is very noticeable and plays over the credits as well. Oh man, Fuck that's yeah. awesome! <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense in the in the world 
you know, that he would be that Superman too at this point in his story, like the Christopher Reeve red and blue colors. Like he's kind of evolved into that character at this point. I would absolutely love to see Henry Cavill play a rendition of that. It would be so cool. Like, Oh dude, like I, I liked man of steel, but I would have loved to have seen him get to play like a joyful Superman, the way that he's written in the comics and the way that it's portrayed in those original movies. And so this news has got me very excited. Yeah, uh, my time to shine. Hello. Also said Cavill in Black Adam was a recent development. So if anyone is claiming that this was in the works since 2020, 2021, they're lying. So this is something that The Rock has been pushing. It's like I and I firmly believe that The Rock single handedly got this guy into this movie. I believe it too. The Rock gets what he wants. How can you turn him down? I mean, I think he pitched this to him. I think him and Cavill probably been talking. And he's like, man, can you imagine if at the end of this movie, Superman shows up and we tease that for the next movie? And I think like with the new regime that they've got over there at WB, I think Zaslav was probably like, okay. You know, I recognize that we do have a big star in the Superman role. And yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. This is this is a launch pad, and I think it's a launch pad for this next article that we will get a Superman sequel. This is, comes from the direct Henry Cavill Superman sequel reportedly now in development. Many rumors have suggested that Dwayne The Rock Johnson has heard the cry from fans and what, that they want more Cavill in the DCEU, constantly teasing that Superman will appear in his upcoming Black Adam movie, similar to how the two heroes met at the end of DC's League of Super Pets. Uh, as the new movie... The Flash is rumored to be a giant reset for the DCEU movies, creating a new cinematic plan that doesn't have to worry about the bunch of botched blockbuster attempts in the early days of the DCEU. Some fans are worried that will mark the end of the line for Cavill's Superman, uh, Cavill Superman's hopes, uh, since they can create a new Superman following that critical movie. Now, an industry insider is doubling down on this notion, claiming that Cavill is back in a big way as the fan-favorite Kryptonian from Kansas. Former Birth Movies Death Editor-in-Chief and Industry Insider David Ferrasi revealed on his Marvel Vision podcast that some behind-the-scenes evidence suggests Warner Brothers is making another Superman movie with Henry Cavill due to Dwayne The Rock Johnson's negotiations. When asked to give more detail, Ferrasi explained that Johnson, quote, went hard, full-court press on Warner Brothers, and made them go to Henry Cavill stating that the Black Adam actor is facilitating a new deal with Henry Cavill, including a new Superman movie. Quote, I got some more information about this. It's not like specific. It's all behind the scenes stuff that I thought was kind of fascinating, which is that the reason why Henry Cavill has returned to Superman and Black Adam is because The Rock demanded it. Like he went hard, full court press on Warner Brothers and made them go to Henry Cavill and they had to sign a new deal with Henry Cavill including saying that they were going to develop a new Superman movie, and it was all because The Rock insisted. David's co-host, his brother Devin, joked that Warner Brothers may regret agreeing to The Rock's demand for a new Superman movie if it doesn't do well at the box office, to which Frosty admitted that, quote, they have now locked themselves into another Henry Cavill Superman by agreeing to Johnson's terms. 
what do you guys think? Are you buying? Are you buying like th- that these things go hand in hand? Not only you know, not only I, is he going to buy it. I do. I do buy it because I, I think that's one of the things Henry Cavill was a little bit hung up on was he was tired of just showing up to be shoehorned into a Batman movie, a Justice League movie. Like I think he really did want to be Superman in a Superman movie again. And I don't think he was going to come back for one more cameo guest appearance without the promise that it was going to lead to him getting to do his own thing again. And I, I think the rock has that kind of pull. So I, I think he probably talked to Cavill. Cavill probably expressed that he didn't want to do another guest appearance and what he really wanted to do. And the rock did his thing from there. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that, dude. I, I think that that is a very likely scenario because you think that who would have the pull to make that happen? And I don't think that there's many other people besides The Rock that would have the pull to be able to do that. The guy's just box office magic. And if that's if he's in your corner and he's going to Warner Brothers saying, hey, I want Henry Cavill in my movie and he's not going to do it unless you guys actually finally give him the fucking sequel that you should have done years ago. This is a really exciting development, and I hope it's true. Well, first off, you know, they both have the same agent. I think that plays a factor. But I also think what plays a factor is that The Rock is doing this for the fans. I really do. I think he knows what the fans want. And he, I think he is, like, seeking the, the fans' kind of, like, admiration and approval of this. Like, I think there'll be a video. I think those two will be on a video, and he's going to be like, listen... You know, I pushed for I pushed for our boy to come back here and play Superman again. Yeah, you guys better show up. So (laughs) if he's able to get like if The Rock is able to use his influence to get us another Henry Cavill Superman movie, then I mean, then the power balance in the DC universe really has fucking changed because there's somebody that's actually coming in and making them make good or making them forcing them to make good decisions. I mean, it's just I. I think I think I think Cavill's gotten a, a raw deal. I think he's gotten a raw deal. I think I'd like to see his Superman under uh, under a new director with new writers. And I think playing that Williams score at the end of this movie, I think it's I think it's going to work. I think it's going to get a lot of people emotional and ready for that next fucking Superman movie. I think it's going to work. I think we're going to, man, I think we're going to get excited about seeing our hero take on Black Adam at the end of this, at the end of this movie. We're going to be chomping at the bit for that next Black Adam movie and chomping at the bit for the next fucking Cavill Superman movie. I really do. I think this is going to work. I think, I don't know what else is going to go on in the DCU if they can turn it around with this new, you know, regime at Warner Brothers. I don't know if they can turn anything else around. All I know is that Peacemaker was fucking awesome. Suicide Squad was awesome. And I think this Black Adam movie is going to be a lot of fun. I really do. I, I, did you guys see like the extended, like they had that new trailer, but did you guys see the extended footage that was leaked online where he's like ripping off villains arms and shit, uh, arms <laughs> and shit. Did you see that? I have not seen that. No, yeah, no, man. I have not seen that. There's a guy and he's got a gun. These guys are shooting him with guns. It's in the news trailer. They're shooting him with guns. And, uh, he, you know, it's, it's not affecting him. He says something like you, you have weak magic, you know, because he comes from a, he comes from an ancient time and now he's in our world 
and uh, you know, in modern day, and, he, and they're shooting him with guns, and he says, "You guys got weak magic." Well, in the trailer, that's what you see, but like in the extended footage that was leaked online from, I think it was from like another. It was like a screening of a trailer, a screening of extended scenes like in another country. Somebody filmed it on their phone and dropped it online. And I watched both videos. There's a scene where he rips a fucking guy's arm off. Like, I don't know if you I don't think you see the the arm get ripped off the guy, but you see the arm go flying and it lands on the ground. There's just a fucking arm there. I'm just like, holy shit. I mean, you don't see wow. that. You don't. I'm sorry. You don't see. Uh, that's what I'm. I'm. I'm really interested in seeing this movie because he is an antihero, and I want to see how the JSA reacts to this motherfucker. And like, even in the new trailer, you see the JSA going after this guy. Did you see the scene where he fucking like, um, he puts Hawkman in his place? Oh, he just catches his mace. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, fucking yes. awesome. Yeah, man. I'm. I don't care, man. I am I am so ready for Black Adam. I am like I'm hyped for this fucking movie. Not just for the ending, not just for seeing Cavill again. I'm hyped to see this movie. Cause this is you don't see movies like this. And if they can pull this off with an anti-hero like this, with a superhero that's doing unsuperhero like things. The closest thing that we see for anything like this is probably in the boys, right? Oh yeah. Like that's taking it to the extreme on one level. So it'll be. I just want to see what DC does with an antihero, and I want to see what Rock does with this performance. But I'm I'm hyped for this fucking movie, man. I like the. I just fa- can't find it in me yet. I I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it's a masterpiece. But I'm having a hard time getting excited for this one myself. Fuck that, I dude. I I I don't know. I guess it's just the it's this the like the boy in me, the testosterone in me that wants to see a fucking like a superhero just fucking take one of the, like these like gun toting terrorists and throw him into the sky. Like I love it. <laughs> Think about oh, it's so fucking cool. I want to see it, and the rock is so imposing. I'm ready oh, yeah. for it. I'm ready for it. I'm I'm sick of watching fucking. I don't know. We didn't even. I don't know. I love the Marvel stuff for what it is, but th- there's something different about this movie that I'm really... I'm, I'm hoping it's great. If it sucks, I'm going to come out here and be like, yeah, man, I didn't dig it. They fucked up. They dropped the ball. You know, Dwayne had no charm in this movie, and I usually love him. But if it's awesome, I'm going to let people know. Yeah, your excitement has been the best hype I've heard so far. Like, every time you talk about it, I, I think maybe I am excited. This has been a passion project of Dwayne Johnson's for so long that I feel like the movie has to be good. We want it to be good. We've definitely talked. I mean, we were talking about Rock playing this role in my basement at the old house. Like, it's been a long time coming, this one. It's been. I wonder what's going to happen. Is he ever going to do that uh, Big Trouble in Little China? I don't know. I haven't heard any rumblings about that in a long Uh -uh. time. Me either. I think that probably fell out. Yeah, Rock, like you said, I think Rock knows what fans want, and he very clearly saw they did not want that. Well, I mean, he wasn't playing Jack Burton, and he was playing a new character. So it was supposed to be a sequel, and Kurt Russell was rumored to possibly be coming back and playing like an old man Jack. God, that'd be so fun. Yeah, the comics were great. So Yeah, the old man Jack comics were fun. Yeah. So he wasn't trying to take over the role of Jack Burton and, you know, it wasn't going to be like, you know, I'm the new Jack Burton and 
Dwayne the Rock Johnson's, you know, driving the pork chop express. I feel like, I feel like, <laughs> you know, I feel like Jack Burton would have showed up eventually in that movie. P- oh, man, part of me still wants to see an old man Jack, man. Just to see Kurt Russell in that role again, driving the pork chop express would be fucking amazing. It'd and they're be incredible. Yeah. I feel like he'd do it if if they, you know, came up with the money. Yeah. Yeah. He did a second Santa Claus Chronicles. I don't know why he wouldn't do a second. <laughs> the second he did big fucking trouble. escape from L.A. Yeah, <laughs> famously bad. Yeah, that is all I got, guys. I am sorry. This is the the, the yeah yeah. <laughs> this is one of those episodes where, like, Brian, when you say the episode sucks and it doesn't, no, this one sucked. Yeah, this is the re- the real deal. This the is the truth. real deal. This is the real deal. I'm taking next week off, guys. I need I need I need some time off. I've I've had a I I was sick all last week, which really fucking sucked. And then this week, I've just been I've just been put through the ringer emotionally. It's just been a rough week for me. So I need to take a week off, and hopefully, I'll be able to come back and be back to myself. But I have just it's it's been it's been a rough. And then I've got fucking. Cats over here fighting like it's West Side Story. I don't know what the fuck's going on over here. <laughs> it's ridiculous. My cats are just... I'm losing control of this house. I'm losing control of the podcast. It's insane. But, uh, Joe, thank you for joining. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on StartCast, or I'm having uh, one-on-one conversations with people. New episodes drop every Saturday. Uh, I got a new one that I'll I'll drop yet tonight. And uh, that is with Stephen Redgrave from Dissecting This Fiction. I had a great time talking with him. Uh, you can also find all three of us with uh, Billy Blinks also uh, breaking down episodes of Rings of Power on PCLOTR. Yeah, I should have had you plug your episode at the beginning of this one. That way people could have turned this fucking thing off and just listened to that shit. <laughs> <laughs> when I have my um, AirPods in and my phone gets messages from the uh, Lord of the Rings group, it pronounces it clatter. So <laughs> I love I, it. I, I've heard that so much now that I think about that podcast as Paclotter. <laughs> Paclotter. All right, that is it. We are done. See you in two weeks, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> thank you joe i appreciate it man hell yeah dude thank you all right jake you don't have to do the ending with me this week the little thing no yeah give you a week off (laughs) i get get my week (laughs) off early (laughs) all right guys we'll see you thanks for listening to pop culture leftovers congratulations i don't know how you did it i couldn't do it You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. Already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before and we don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Gonna toss it, gonna take it Do we 
love it, hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace it, Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said, leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft and we're the shaft, the crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over counterculture, push over pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said Leftovers sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said, leftovers. sure the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture leftovers.